Welcome to the One Life One Chance podcast. I'm your host, Toby Morse. Today, I have a very special guest and also my unofficial, I guess official co-host, Mr. Derek Green's here. The hype man. How are you doing, Derek? I'm fantastic. Can't you tell? And welcome to the podcast, Mike Cesario, right? That's, That's how right. you Nailed say it, man. I said it right. Cesario. So this is the man, the myth, uh, the legend behind Liquid Death. Liquid Everybody's been Death. seeing us posting and drinking. It's my favorite water. Um, thank you for being here. Thanks, Toby. And uh, we want to hear your story because this this podcast. Sometimes I have people, I have people from all different walks of life, but we all kind of come from punk rock and skateboarding, in a sense, on this journey. We all kind of end up connecting here at this point in our lives. So, what is your story? I, I know you're you're from Delaware, correct? Right. Yeah. Grew up. Well, grew up in Delaware till like sixth grade, and then I moved probably like. 30 minutes away into like the fields of Pennsylvania for like high school and oh all that. The field, like, what, like what part of Pennsylvania? Uh, it was called Landenburg, Pennsylvania. Oh my God. I know it. Get Are the fuck serious? out of here. Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, yeah, I live down the street. Yeah. <laughs> like, so you went, you went up, like from like kind of a city area to like a rural area. Yeah. Cause it was crazy where the Delaware school system was one of the worst school systems in the country. And, they had this crazy program where I forget what they called it, but it was basically like kids from the inner city would get bused 30 minutes into the suburbs to go to school for certain like levels. And then kids from the suburbs get bused into the inner city to go really? to school. So where I went to elementary school, I mean, recess would be canceled because of like shootings and there was like needles on the ground. Wow, and wow. shit. And then in sixth grade, I found a bullet on the ground. And my parents were like, okay. <laughs> You're like, this program. Is this, yeah, this yeah. Is, like, this is Delaware? Delaware, yeah. You never wow. even think about Delaware because it's in between Baltimore and Pennsylvania, I know. correct? I never thought it was like. I, I've been to truck stops there going to play shows and stuff like that. But I don't know if we played proper show in Delaware. Was there like a venue there? There was the, the hardcore venue there that a lot of bands played at was this weird, like, I don't know what you would call it. It was like a Girl Scout community center called girls super diy yeah but i saw converge there today is the day cave in like all those bands played it and you're that there's literally like little kids drawings on the wall and there's like you know a band playing in the center yeah that's amazing um okay so you moved to the rural so yeah what was it like growing up there yeah that was like where you know like i grew up skateboarding at i think i got my first skateboard when i was six tony hawkboard i actually got the tattoo um and then like kids in Delaware just like quit skating. Like it wasn't cool to skate. Everyone got into just like being rappers or whatever, yeah. you know, driving, a car. Yeah, Girls, driving yeah. partying. <laughs> it just yeah. wasn't cool. So I quit just because no one else skated. Then when I moved to Pennsylvania in seventh grade, like skating was actually cool there. I was like, wait, you guys skateboard? Like that's yeah. a thing. They're like, yeah. So I got like back into skating and then like kind of went from this like path of like, I was wearing like, giant starter sweatshirts to like kind of like going down the skate path and then started, you know, listening to, you know, no effects. I got like the punkorama album. Sick. And it was just those like, are great. that yeah. was like the gateway. Yeah. We've been like, on those that, that I have people meet me now. Like, Oh, I heard you on punkorama. Like those things really went oh, did, far. Back then. Oh yeah. They were yeah. just like the, the things that like, just like pulled you in. Yeah. Like, oh, wait a second. Was this, there this, a, this, a large Amish community where you, yeah. I knew it. Like 40 oh, minutes yeah, away, yeah. it was yeah. uh, Lancaster. Lancaster is where they were kicking it. Yeah. I didn't know if they were in the scene, you know, because no. in Cleveland, there was a band that was called Hostile Amish. 
<laughs> just like they we, were Amish. They were Amish. It's a hard like, name. It was hard name, and they would come up on stage with like butter churns and like you know work it out. It's on amazing. Stage. I'm, I'm dead serious, <laughs> dude. I was like, wow. But I, I I knew from Pennsylvania. I know there's a, a large community. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, we used to go to shows in Lancaster at this venue called the Chameleon Club. Yeah, okay. a great show. Wow. Great, great, great venue. Yeah. The last show I saw there, one of my favorite bands, is Snapcase. Nice. It, it was Snapcase and Kid Dynamite. Love me I remember Snapcase. that show. I love Snapcase too, man. Yeah. The progression through unlearning is probably my favorite hardcore album. I'm going to have to go back wow. and listen to that again. It's man. so good. And then yeah. there's like Steps too. That's an album. Yeah, I never, re- li- I literally never listened to their other stuff. It was wow. just that really? one album. Okay. I was just like, the production wasn't the best on that. No- that band will even say it, but live they're fucking incredible. Yeah. They're great dudes. Yeah. Shout out to Snapcase, great humans. Yeah. Um, what was your exposure to skateboarding back then? So once you know, once I started skating again in like seventh grade. Um, yeah, like we just, it was just full on. And since we lived in the woods, like everybody had mini ramps. Sick. Yeah. And like there was this guy uh, who lived in our town named Ben Jones, and he had a barn with this sick mini ramp in it. And I remember going there for the first time in like eighth grade, and it's like all these older kids smoking cigarettes, listening to Screeching <laughs> Weasel. It was like, this is the coolest fucking place I've ever been, you know? <laughs> And now those guys opened a skate shop in Delaware called Kinetic, which is really big now. Okay. Yeah. Those same guys who had the ramp. Had the ramp. Yeah. Wow. They, they kind of grew up. Stuck and, with it. Yeah. yeah. Was it just people skating in your school and stuff? How you getting into it? Pretty much. Yeah. Just yeah. like I just made friends with kind of the, the dudes that skated that ended up becoming my closest friends. And we started a band in eighth grade. Wow. And then that, you know, we, we played in various bands like, you know, whether it was all of us or all of us plus someone. Like, yeah. Until, what was your instrument of choice? I play guitar. Okay. Yeah. And, and so, I, and the skateboarding, sorry, the skateboarding and the punk rock came hand in hand, right? Yeah. The soundtrack it, for each other. Yeah. It was kind of the same time. It was like, I got really into skateboarding again. Once I kind of like met this new crew of people that skated. And then that like seventh grade for me was the same year that like Dookie came out. And it was like, it was like that punk explosion of like totally. people's parents bought that album yeah wow. um but then it was like green day was just like oh this is great and then it was like punkorama and it was like no effects bad religion like this is way cooler you know and then it just was like mm. rabbit hole after that yeah that was amazing back then just seeing the different on the compilations or a fanzine or a record or yeah who they get shout outs to what shirts they're wearing on the back you know oh yeah um so how were you in school like do you like school yeah i, I was always you know, for, for me, school was, I want to say it was easy, but it was like, I was always able to just do well enough to like, not have my, not have my parents be pissed. It's like, as long as I wasn't getting C's, they're like, you're good. Yeah. You know? They so, weren't strict parents. Yeah. It wasn't like, you better get straight A's or anything like that. And, uh, yeah, it, it was, I got really in probably 10th grade. I started getting really into like the more like political punk side of things. So Propagandi. Like, Propagandi, still one of my favorite bands of all time. <laughs> but then it was like, I was reading Noam Chomsky and like, you know, trying to be more educated and like, you know, wow. I, I drank alcohol then, but I never touched weed or drugs or cigarettes really until like after high school. Okay. Like I was always kind of like, I thought that like drugs would make you stupid. And like, I was all about, you know, being smart and they can know. do that. Yeah. <laughs> being and they, pure yeah, and focused. They, yeah. But wow. Ultimately they they found their way in. Um, 
But um, and then what you and you graduated, obviously. Yep, graduated. Um, and what were your goals then? So in school, I didn't know what the fuck I wanted to do. All I knew, like I was in our band, I was always the guy running the band. That was like figuring out, like, okay, guys, we're gonna go record at this studio. I'm gonna book yeah. it. I'm gonna put the money up. Like I'm gonna design the t-shirts. I'm gonna design the record. Like everyone else is just kind of like. They just show up and play. I was like the one trying to like keep it going. So I thought I wanted to do something in business was all I knew. Like I want to have, I want to have a company. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then I, because of design and I was always like good at drawing. Like I was the kid in like school that was like always drawing. Um, I just realized you could go to school for graphic design. I didn't even know that was a job. Right. Yeah. Um, And then I was like, Oh, that can be a career. Okay. Yeah. So then I went to art school in Laguna beach for graphic design. Cause I knew I wanted to be on the West coast. Like ever, okay. ever since I was a kid, my dad had taken us out to Hermosa. Yeah. You know, in the summer for like a week at a time. And I just remember thinking like, there's people skating everywhere. I was just like, this is the coolest place. It's the Mecca skateboard. Mecca, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. No, you know, all the punk bands are from California that I was into. Um, so then I was like, yeah, I just got to find an art school that has a out decent here. program out here. Um, so I went there for design and then, um, I quit school because i was kind of bored like all the years of design doing design for bands like it wasn't like i was learning anything in school like i was constantly getting great grades without trying and i'm like wait a second why am i spending all this money right because mm-hmm. my parents weren't paying for it oh, okay yeah <laughs> so i'm just like i'm i'm gonna go move you know and try to do music or maybe i'm gonna try to go um you know just get a graphic design job i don't need to like be in school yeah so then I ultimately ended up moving back to Philadelphia and uh, tried to get a design job and I couldn't get one. Yeah, they were like, oh, where, yeah, it was like, I got woke up. They're like, where's your degree? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're like, you're not that good. Like, what have you, <laughs> like, right. we don't need you to design band posters. Like, we need you to design fucking <laughs> logos for pharmaceutical companies. Right. Like, what, yeah. <laughs> uh, so then I kind of had this like rude awakening of like, fuck. All right. <laughs> Now I got to go back to school. But I'm like, if I go back, I'm going to a really good place. I'm not going to just like spend money. So then I applied to the school that I was told was the best school in the country for graphic design, which is Art Center in Pasadena here. And somehow I got in. And then once I moved back here for that, then it was like everything, like school for the first time ever got serious for me. Mm -hmm. So then I like fully applied myself and like was doing well. I was 24, I think, at that time. Yeah. And it was really fucking hard. Like, yeah, I mean, it was like, it wasn't like, oh, hey, your homework assignment for this class is design a poster. They're like, design 20 posters and it's due next week. Wow. And then out of the 20, they'll be like, okay, these nine or or these 15 are shit. These five are okay. Do 15 more. Oh, and you got a new assignment too that you... So, I mean, it was just like gnarly. Hard work and a challenge for you too, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. But but that was kind of where I started like shifting away from, you know, just finally being like fully serious about something. And then while I was in school, I saw there was an advertising program and those guys were doing stuff that was more funny and like design was very like meticulous. Mm-hmm. Like, and that wasn't me. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. like a design on a grid type thing. Yeah. Like I like shit that's funny and stupid <laughs> and there's not a lot of funny and stupid in like the very kind of German graphic design world. So I switched to advertising 
and kind of went that route and then ultimately graduated and uh, got my first job in advertising in Boulder, Colorado at this agency that they were called Crispin Porter and Bogusky. And they did most of the really weird disruptive advertising that I had seen. Okay. Where they kind of advertise like they want to hire people that like other companies wouldn't hire. Okay. They want weirdos right, so. and, 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 and stuff like that. So, so they moved to Boulder, Colorado. That's a big yeah, change. Yeah, that wow. was big. Yeah, that was big. It's nice there, though. I like Colorado. You like Colorado? I love Colorado. It was great. Yeah. yeah. The air it, is nice. Yeah. It was a little... Like, Boulder was great, but it was kind of like... It's a very homogeneous place. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like... Everybody has a $2,000 mountain bike, a dog, and you like bluegrass music. <laughs> like, there's not a lot beyond that. Wow. So I always had to drive 45 minutes or however far into Denver to go see all the shows I wanted yeah, to go to. Yeah, great shows. Yeah. Great um, place to see I shows. love playing shows. Bluebird Theater is a bunch oh, of good spots. Yeah. I Ogden. Like Ogden. I saw, uh, I saw Gojira play in like a Ooh. bar that maybe twice the size of your house. Wow. And that was amazing. Yeah, there was a lot. We saw a lot of good shows when I was out there. So how long are you out there for? I was there for two years. Um, kind of learned, you know, again, super intense place to work. Like yeah. we were working like 80 hour weeks, easy every week, especially when you're the young guy. It's like, yeah, there was one day where I went into work at 9am on a Monday, worked all the way through Monday, through the night into Tuesday and did not leave until 1am Tuesday night. Wow. It was crazy. So Holy then like shit. after two hours of that, two, two years of that, I was just like, okay, I got to. I got to find something else. Yeah. At least another place to work at. But it was that place. It's like everyone goes because you make amazing shit there that gets you hired at other places. Yeah. So, you know, we made some cool stuff there for sure. And that got me my next job. But after that, I then took a job that I was offered in Seattle, Washington wow. for okay. another agency. Um, and I loved Seattle. I live mm-hmm. right next to that venue, Numos, which is like one of my favorite venues. I know Numos, yeah. Yeah. I like Seattle. It's raining so much, though, right? It was, yeah. And I went during, like, I moved in November, I think it was. So it's like literally like the grayest season yeah. of Seattle. <laughs> did you like it, though? I did, yeah. The, I hated the job I ended up taking there. It was like one of these things where it's like everything they had done before was just like terrible, but they're like, oh, no we're trying to totally change the company around. That's why we're hiring you. And like, you know, we're going to make, and it's like, it never is. Yeah. Um, they, they did all the work for T-Mobile. It's just like, <laughs> it's just like worse. so yeah. excited. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, I'm, you know, and, uh, did you have a girlfriend traveling with you everywhere? Or just you? No, I was guy? single. Just, I was single. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's grinding, grinding. Yeah. But then, yeah, it was just, Seattle was a cool place. Like went, you know, again, would just see a bunch of shows, hang out with cool people. You were there for two years? No, I was in Seattle for six months. <laughs> oh, like, oh, shit. Yeah, I was just Dang. like after, after a long winter, like just gray winter. Does like, it get depressing, like the weather? I, I wouldn't say it gets depressing. It's more like if there's anything that you don't like in your life, it just amplifies it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And yeah, it's like yeah. I hated my, like I totally, like the job was not at all what I signed up for. Yeah. And it was just like, Oh man, like what did I do? Um, so it was, and I, as much as I loved it, I loved my apartment. Just serendipitously, an, another agency reached out to me from in San Francisco. Yeah, and my younger brother had been living in San Francisco for a while, and they made me an offer to go work down there. And I was like, shit, I just moved here. I don't really want to move again. Mm-hmm. But it was a great offer. My brother was there. 
San, you know, I went to visit San Francisco and I was it was cool. This was like kind of before the tech right. yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of craziness happened. So I said fuck it and took the job there, moved to San Francisco. Wow, man. And then uh yeah. so much traveling in such a short time it seems. I know, like I ever since I basically graduated high school, I've kind of been like a nomad. Like yeah. right after high school, I was in a a band called since day one that we were in since high school and we all moved to Boston together to try to like make it in a band. Make it wow. in Boston? That's crazy. <laughs> because that was like, gra- that was like out of Boston and I mean, make a band happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not New York. Skipped right over yeah. New York. Well, well, at that time, like Boston was sort of the epicenter of all the hardcore bands yeah. that were like our idols, like Converge and Cave see. In, yeah. Shadows Fall, like all, right. the, all the what high, year was that? Early Hydrahead bands. It was literally the year 2000. Okay. okay. Yeah. So Dang, that's crazy. That's funny. So yeah, we moved up. How long did you last there before Boston? A year. Okay. <laughs> and that was like the bands didn't like I moved up there, but the drummer of the band never ended up moving up. He was supposed to. And he was like, oh no, I'm gonna come. Mm. It never came. <laughs> so, you know, I just I, I got my first full time job working at like a, a ski shop called Ski Market selling snowboards. And that was like my forty hour a week job just to kind of pay the bills and you know, wow, man. We we tried doing that for a year. We played a festival up there that the singer in our band actually put on himself. It was called Fuck Fest, actually. I've heard that about that, maybe. <laughs> really? You see your singer put it on? Yeah, and it was like all those bands, like, I don't know what you call it. It's like the early Screamo shit. Like, remember bands like Orchid? Yeah. Yeah, like Orchid, Joshua Fit for Battle, who was from Delaware, uh, Usurp Synapse. Go ahead. Like all these just like crazy, like noisy, like grind sort of bands. I remember Orchard for sure. Yeah. It was such a different time. The style, everybody was a different style of music. That time, it was. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, on the verge of like almost metal hardcore into scream style, right? That yeah. Time? Yeah. Like really fast. Yeah. Yeah. And what did you guys sound like? What was your major influence? We were really weird. I mean, it was like, <laughs> it was like a band where half the band's favorite band was hot water music and the other half's favorite band was Converge. <laughs> it was okay. like something in yeah, between. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our bassist was insanely good and he always felt that bassists were oppressed in bands. Like, <laughs> <laughs> how could the bass always has to play the stupidest line? Like, he wanted to play like the weird, you know, just like crazy bass stuff. He was even playing slap bass in certain Chili songs. Chili Pepper style, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but... Like, it was in a hardcore band. Yeah, <laughs> they're like, that's what we're locking you down. We yeah, but the bass, the bass and the drums is everything, though. Like, that's, it. It's yeah. true. Super important, man. Absolutely, man. That rhythm section. That's what that's what that's what I mean. It keeps the whole groove. Yeah, man. But I know what he's saying, though. Yeah, wow. And he and he was so like any bassist that played with a pick and not his fingers, he'd just be like, oh. So when that didn't work out, were you done with music after that? Because you started uh, traveling so much. Kind of, yeah. It was like once. So once we moved back from Boston and that band kind of dissipated, ended up starting another band that was totally different. That was more like, like pop punk with a girl singer. Okay. Super catchy. It's cool. Um, our drummer was like obsessed with Travis Barker. So he played Barry Blink 182 <laughs> kind of style drums. Um, and that was actually like the closest we got to actually having a band do something where like mm. we actually had a label be like oh we want to release your guys record yeah. and and it was just again one of those things where the drummer had issues and like 
was wor- like I just wasn't confident that the band Drummers. was even going to stay together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, cause yeah. Th- he he was in another band where halfway through the tour he got homesick and just left the tour. Oh, wow. Man. Yeah. You know, like just like I man, people how people don't understand like how difficult it is to keep a band together. together. Yes, you man. You know, it's really the, one of the most difficult things about being an artist. You know, yeah, in a band keeping it together. Yeah, <laughs> all the different personalities yeah. and mood swings and. <sighs> And usually for long periods of time too, right? It's like oh, yeah. you yeah. got to keep it together for like ten years to maybe hit that, like, yeah. and maybe hit that, hit you know, that, it's, right? It's how many tough. years are you in Separatora now? It's over twenty years, like twenty wow, two man. years or so. What year did you start with them? Ninety seven, ninety eight, like it was that end of ninety seven. Got it. But yeah, it, it, it takes yeah. a lot, man. A lot of, I mean, with you, Toby, how long? 26 years in the band. Wow. Yeah. It's a lot of communicating. Yeah. You, you have know, to love each other unconditionally, yeah. like, and be friends. And yeah, it's like a brotherhood, you and, know? And also have that same goal, you know, right. you're wanting the same thing. You right. Know? Being Very unified lucky, on that with all those different personalities. Yeah. Throw that in with, like, everyone's personal life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. You know, it's 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 tough. It's tough. Yeah, I would have rather like, <laughs> like the bands now. Some this some bands now they don't even talk to each other. They go on yeah. stage, separate different buses, managers. separate dressing rooms, separate managers. Oh wow! Go yeah. on stage, play, get the check. I, I, I believe Lincoln they, Park. Separate they, checks they, too. they all had different managers. Yeah, <laughs> That's a crazy. lot of them did. Yeah, but don't even talk to each other. Different planes. It's just a different world. Like, yeah. It's a lot of money at stake, but I would never want to do that because I want to. Yeah. I want to love the guys I'm on stage with. Some, I, exactly. Some look at each other. Some bands, you know. I, I would find that wow. extremely difficult to have that weird separation of just like, okay, you go that way, you go that way, and we'll meet on stage. Yeah, it's like it's like being married and sleeping in separate bedrooms. Exactly. A hundred percent, man. I mean, I don't know. Certain bands can do this. You know, can function. You know, yeah. they find a way to do that, but. I think when we got started, it was really about being with friends, hundred percent, enjoying the music, a hundred, you know, completely being committed in that way. You know. Yeah, like uh, Rusty never played a guitar before. Mm. Um, he just like, oh, let's start a band. I never really sang before. Let's just do right. it. So we started jamming, and like <laughs> yeah. one of your musicians, you know what I mean? And it's, when we're not, the, I'm not the best singer. Rusty's not the best guitar player. But when we're all together, it works. You know what I mean? Yeah. How long so. were you guys playing before you were like legit touring and having like some real success? Um. First show was in '94. That was at Murphy's Law in Queens, New York. And and then the next show we had was like with the Chromags at uh, Limelight. Right. Oh. And then it was with Rancy Lunachicks at the Limelight. Yes. And then we started getting just because I was already with Sigma, I had made friends with different bands around the country. Uh, so I had like this band that had five songs, so we were easy to throw on any bill because we had five songs. You would start jumping on stuff like that, and then we got signed Equal Vision, did our first seven inch that came out like '95, two song seven inch. We had a demo. And then from there, we um, signed to Blackout Records into our first album that came out in 96. It happened pretty fast. Oh, right? that's yeah. pretty cool. But then the Boston's took us on tour in 96, and that changed our whole life, our whole perspective on touring and being a real legit band, how you treat other bands, how you treat support bands. They were like the best humans to tour with. You know what I mean? Uh, and cool. then they kept taking us on tour. When they kept blowing up with a Let's Face It album, they continued to take us on tour. Even when they were huge on MTV, they were still the exact same that's dudes. That's so and cool. So yeah, they taught us a lot, man. Like taking us under the wing, um, for sure. Yeah, our first U.S. tours with um, 1996, the Beer and Water tour, H2O Murphy slots. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we all got Beer and Water yeah. tattoos matching. Uh, um, cool. Yeah, man. I don't know. I was. We'll get to your story, but I, yeah. I just had made like you. I just made a sticker, 
I said my band's called H2O. We had nothing out. I had one sticker. I remember sticker. he was designing the sticker. Yeah, it's like a water drop logo. Yeah, he was like, yo, I got this idea. I was like, I get it. You know, water. I have a tattoo of it. <laughs> the drop. And we stood, So the name was more of a thing before we had anything to show for it. Yes. And the sticker. And then jumping on stage and doing one song, like opening for Biohazard or Rancid or... So it just became this kind of a buzz before the internet about a band called H2O. And then we finally put a demo out, you know, a demo tape. We had 100 copies. And then people were like, oh, shit, this dude's kind of singing. Like, right. You know, it's, it That's was weird. Cool. It, was, it was something different. Yeah, so. So wait, but, so wait I, how did you guys meet originally? Uh, because I was working across the street from him. And we also were going to shows. We were in the same scene. Yeah, oh, he came from know. a hardcore band in Cleveland called Outface. Right. Oh, okay. And so With then, Charlie from Civ was in the same oh. band. And so we knew a lot of the same people and we we're just, I mean, there's such small worlds back then. You yeah. Know? Even if it was like hip hop world or hardcore, it would kind of cross over yeah. a lot of times. Yeah. All the time, actually. You know, because yeah. everybody was in the hip hop. They especially were a little bit into hardcore, especially in New York. Yeah. And so it just grew. And that's when I was, he was going through the whole thing and designing. And I was like, yo, I'll help Brody, you know, some of these shows. And, <laughs> ah, so it was cool. hilarious. He worked man. at Fat Farm. I worked at Nana right across the street from each other on Prince Street in Soho. And I worked with his future wife. Oh, Which, yeah, that's right. So he, he worked the door at Beauty Bar. My wife was a bartender at Beauty Bar on 14th oh. Street. He was like the, the guy there. I was the guy. And then some of the other clubs <laughs> we were friends used to go to, he'd, work, he'd be at some of those clubs as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so back to you. So Boston... Where do you go after Boston? No, but Boston, you you were you were there, but so you're. I'm trying to get this in my head straight. Like, so oh, yeah, San Francisco, you're already. Were you playing in bands when you were out there? Like, pers- so so Boston, so San Francisco was way later. Boston, okay. Boston was right after high school. That ah, was like, okay. yeah. still got the. We're gonna be in a band. You want to be a musician? Uh, want to be a musician? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. hell yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then moved back from Boston to Delaware. Then we kind of started this other like pop punk. The girl band. singer, yeah. What was that band called? That was called the Jasmine Fire. Okay, Jasmine. It's a cool Fire. name. Um, and then is that her name? No, her name okay. was Elena. Okay. Um, and then yeah, it's like that started going. But to your point, it's like everybody kind of had different personal goals. Where like the one guitar player, Dan, he's super smart mm-hmm. and like was going to go to school to be like, an, like an astronomy teacher. Dang. You know, like so he was ready to go to college and do that whole thing. And it's like, yeah, he was saying he was ready to be in the band, but like, <laughs> I don't know. It's like, we know, like, you know, the drummer, like his last band. So then I got accepted to the first art school, the, yeah, the right, one that yeah. wasn't great. So now all of a sudden we had this decision. Like, You're like, do you just say, all right, I just had a band thing, not go well in Boston. <laughs> We're in this new one that doesn't look too promising. Am I gonna turn down college for this or not? Yeah, and it was a re- it was probably one of the tougher decisions I've ever had to make. Wow! And I picked, I picked, I picked college, and I went to, I went out to, uh, yeah. And did, did they continue the band without you? They didn't. No. And okay. I, and I think that shows. Like, if right. it really yeah. was together, like <laughs> right. I was just a guitar player. I wasn't wow. singing or anything. Did um, you write some songs with them too? Yeah, like I, me yeah. and me and Dan wrote most of the songs. Okay. Um. And then, uh, and then, yeah, there was then that period around that same time when we had the pop punk band, our other friends had this hip hop group <laughs> that was starting to like make some noise. Okay. okay. Like it wasn't Bloodhound Gang, right? 
No, because that's the same area. That's the same area. No, no, nowhere near that noise. I mean, like, just like people around our town were like, "Oh, have you heard?" uh, (laughs) What was the name of the? They call what did they? They called it Dead Beats. Okay, the Dead Beats, and it was all. It's kind of cool. Beats, Dead Beats. I get it. Yeah, the Beats, and it was just like dudes, like dudes from our area that like you know grew up making punk, or even like the one guy was super into like Nine Inch Nails and like electronic gothy stuff yeah but then they he started making these hip-hop beats that were like legitimately good and then they were rapping on it and it actually sounded really good and then as a joke i recorded a verse on one of their album on one of the songs and i was a terrible singer like i can't sing to save my life like in a punk band Mm-hmm. But for some reason, my voice sounded good rapping, yeah, doing that as a as a wow, joke. Wow, it's like a bars. <laughs> <laughs> so then that became Who like a, yeah, that became a thing. And so you started rapping in this group. <laughs> Please tell me yes. I Dude. just well, not really. So I was on a song in the thing. Okay, and it was like. They were like, oh, dude, you have to like do more songs with us. I'm like, this is stupid. Like, I'm not doing this. Were you then, a hip-hop fan at the time? I was, yeah. Because okay. like I grew up with like, you know, like like early, like I loved Outkast. And, right. you know, it was a little bit pre-Jay-Z for me. Like I had yeah. like select hip-hop things that I liked. Um, and, then, and then I moved out to L.A. And like I didn't have the group anymore. But Dave, the guy making the beats, would send me beats. Wow. And then I would just like on my own, just like fucking around with like, you know, laptop or whatever, just like record stuff and write you stuff. Writing lyrics, you yeah, be- I was writing, yeah. Wow. Oh yeah. And then this guy's a fucking MC too, man. <laughs> so <laughs> weird. That's how old are you then? I was 20. at that time. Tw- about twenty. Okay. Yeah. And then there was this wow, label. I hear this shit. There was a label in LA, this like this guy was like, I don't know, a 70, he was in like a, some 70s keyboard band where he made some okay money and he made his own studio over near, uh, where was it? It was like on Century in La Brea. Okay. And uh, I forget how it happened. I don't know if like I sent, like they were requesting demos or something and I think I sent something. So then they were like, oh, we love this. Like we want to sign you. And I'm like, this is crazy. Wow. Whoa, so the, the punk rock stuff you're really passionate about really tried in East coast. And then the and side then project thing rapper. somehow, yeah, somehow bubbled up crazy. this so weird side project thing. Dude. And wow. So he, this keyboardist guy was like, yo, his name was get, Felix. Yeah. Felix was like, yo, I wonder where Bandy's from. Is, we find know, out. He, he was, researching. They were searching. And at that time it was like when Eminem was like at huge. So yeah. all these guys were just like, what okay. white rapper right, dollar right. signs like let's jump on this like <laughs> right. kind of like what was your mc name what was your name did you have a name it was it was strict nine <laughs> strict nine strict s-t-r-i-k-k i like it and where's that where that come from oh what don't don't tell me that's your graffiti tag no no it was like someone told me it was strict it was like the thing that kills you in rat poison or something like that yeah 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 that's right damn bro this is fucking lethal (laughs) it was lethal lethal this guy's a venomous no it's a wow strict nine that's cool okay what's up strict nine dude i don't know if i can call you mike anymore after this man this is so cool my little brother still calls me strict he's like what's up strict yeah okay so now you're laying verses so yeah so then what they said was like, okay, hey, we're going to sign you. Uh, we're not paying you any money, but uh, 
you can record for free mm. in our studio. We'll okay. like produce a whole album for you. Huh. Interesting. I don't know. And we'll own I didn't it, even right? take this seriously. To me, this was right. like a joke still. Like, I'm like, this is funny. Like, sure. You want to give me free studio time and let me make some ridiculous album? Like, sure. So yeah. you're like, okay, I'm going to roll. You- I'm like, okay. So then like, yeah, we. You came in. The- we went in there. We recorded a whole album. Wow. that was like not good. Oh, I gotta uh, hear it. I gotta hear this shit, man. <laughs> I'm so glad it doesn't even exist. Anymore. But do you? Oh, do, but do you have somewhere. stats or something? What's that? You have any of it saved anywhere? I don't. Like You're I lied. I swear to God, I don't. <laughs> Come on, Strict Nine. Come on. That's before the internet, man. So, was yeah. it? It was like yeah. Before yeah. it was before iPods. Like okay, this was right, like. Right. He, he just. Missed I had it on like old okay. hard drives that like don't even adapt anymore okay, to like okay. anything. You know. Damn. But do you uh, still have those R drives? Do you still have them? No, I don't. Damn. Because I've moved, I've moved so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and then when I lived in San Francisco, I had an apartment that I lived in for 10 days. It fucking burned down. Oh, wow. Man. Like, it lost everything. Holy you know, like, shit. All right. So, so what was the album called? Oh, fuck. Strict Nine. I don't even remember what the album was called, to be honest. Yeah. And yeah, no label for it, right? Or dealing? Well, they, they were a label, but they didn't know. I mean, this was a keyboard player yeah. guy that was like, yeah, it's stumbled. Yeah. You remember the label? What was his name again? Felix. Felix was like, yo, we're going to make this happen. Let's blow yeah. this shit up. Yeah. So he was like, we got it. We, you know, after the recording was done, you're like, yes. Yeah. We're like, yeah, we got it. And then. <laughs> were you excited about it? Like you. Was, yeah. I, I mean, I, yeah, I was excited. Because it was like this all happened so quickly. I didn't right. pay any money. And was Felix like making mad promises? Like, yo, I'm taking this to the top. Kind of, but not really. Like, it was almost like we had this album and it's like, all right, now what? And he's like, you got to go do shows. <laughs> I was like, like wow, what? dude. So, so it, was, it was just this. And then I was in school at the same time. because, And I wasn't, again, I left the band to go take school somewhat seriously. I'm not going to go. Rhyme. Quit school to go be a fucking and then rap rapper. by yourself with no band behind you. No, the yeah. first time doing that. Yeah. So then. Wow. So then, shortly after that, the the dudes who were making the beats that were like my friends that we had that group, they ended up moving out to California, and we got a little house in San Diego okay. together for a summer. Like it was like we didn't know how long we were going to stay there, and it was actually this crazy thing where a guy I knew grew weed and he was like hey if you use one of the rooms in the house to grow weed we'll pay all the rent for the house (laughs) so we're like hey we can have a free house build a studio in the living room and literally not need to work a ton and actually focus on music and like try to like write write a record like together and the room was full of weed yeah one the house smell like weed oh yeah it was was, was terrible yeah it was reeking yeah it was terrible um wow but then it was like, you know, we started recording stuff. We did a bunch of shows. So there was you this did big, shows. Yeah. In San Diego, there was this like open mic place that we started going to. And then people would come just for us. So like it was this thing where there was like 10 people there till by like two months later, like it was packed. Like it and was this is you rhyming there with the group. Yeah. Okay. And it was called oh Deadbeats. Oh, yeah, wow. Dead beats, bro. Dude, that's right. Yeah. Strict nine and Deadbeats. Yeah. Wow. So you started to develop some type of following, kind of, kind, kind of, yeah, kind of there. And then, again, same thing. Band people like everyone has their own issues. And then the one guy missed his girlfriend, so he moved back to 
the East Coast. And then the other guy's like, well, if he's leaving, then I'm leaving. So oh, then they left, and I'm yeah. just like, okay. You and remember the first show rhyming geez. on stage? Like, it's so different than yeah. playing guitar in a band. Like it's a punk so band. different. Yeah, because right. you're just up there by yourself. You must no, be nervous. No. Yeah, so, oh, yeah. super nervous. Yeah. Um, but after a while, did you get, like, you, you come into your own as far as, like, we started playing more shows? Did you feel like you were, like, a hip hop artist? Yeah, there was kind of yeah i think it was like people liked it i i still never understood why or how people liked it mm. like i think playing in the punk stuff i was always like this is so good how come no one likes it <laughs> <laughs> and then with rap i'm like this is terrible how do people like this yeah you know it was weird um so it, yeah it just never really like it, it again it was just sort of this fun side thing that was just like but it started getting more of a buzz than any other projects you were in. It, it did, yeah. And we started, wow. you know, we started getting, you know, and I was in between because I quit school because I knew that I didn't want to be in school. I'm going to go get a job. So like, hey, we could try to do this music thing for a little bit, just see what happens. You know, like we haven't had traction like this anywhere before, so let's like try to do this. Um, and yeah, again, that just sort of fell apart. And at that point, I was just like, okay, I'm I'm over this. So then that's when I moved back to Philly. Okay. And I was just like, I'm going to go get a design job, you know, going to, mm -hmm. you know, kind of get out of like this stupid, like trying to make it with music thing. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's never done worked with it out. Yeah. yeah. I was just like, yeah, I'm just done with it. And, and then, you haven't done music since that? Not seriously. No. Okay. Um, just like always like, you know, had dudes that I would play with like in San Francisco, my buddy, Sean, awesome metal drummer. We would we had a little practice space and we would just write cool metal songs and just, yeah, but yeah. Like we never played any shows or anything. But you like put that. the mic down for the MC shit though. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. fucking. Oh, and then the last wow. MC thing I did was the thing I sent you. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. But and that was supposed to be a so advertising career. Too, yeah, yeah. So I had the advertising career and like you know making viral videos and all that stuff. And so then, you sent me that, but I didn't know you had a past. Before that, as an yeah, MC, yeah, yeah, well, I thought yeah, it was like no, for like this yeah. ad thing. Why <laughs> District Nine? So, such a good name. I'm thinking about Tech Nine and this District Nine too. District Nine is dope. Yeah, it is. It's it's also what they use in one ingredient they used in um, creating a horrible uh, and some acid they would put. Right, right. Or like, yeah, yeah. I think I heard that too. Yeah, I wouldn't know anything about that. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a big acid head, but I remember back in the day, I was terrified that. That was one of the ingredients that they were using to hype you up. So that yeah. that, that made you not want to try acid because it was in there. Ah, uh, absolutely! Wow, <laughs> I was like, uh, it's rat poison. And, wow, uh, I did acid one time and it was a blast, but yeah. <laughs> I felt like my, my the next day. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, I felt I, like my I, I couldn't even think straight. Right, I, I was actually driving the next day. I came to a complete stop at a green light and I was sitting there waiting for it to change <laughs> and until. My, what am I doing? <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, I mean, it was, it, it rocked. Um, I, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely in, in certain doses of acid because you would never really know where it was actually coming from. That was the tricky thing about yeah. acid, at least back in the day. Um, it didn't prevent me from not trying or experimenting with it, but it definitely led to me not wanting to do it once I uh, had experimented. And I was like, I had my fair share and I survived. So mm -hmm. You made it through, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm done. Because yeah. one trip could just ruin your whole life pretty much. Depends around the person. Could. could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember there was a guy. Or permanent school. damage or something. Yeah. It could, I mean, I don't know. You never know. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to take that chance. Yeah. 
<laughs> so now you're back in Philly at a marketing firm. Yeah. So I, I, I worked for this graphic design firm. I got an internship for, but then they ended up just firing me a couple months later. Bastards. And then I worked for this company called fast signs you know, like they make like yeah, yeah, final yeah. signs and stuff. So I was just like, making 16 year old girl birthday banners for like this, you know, like, um, but yeah. So, so then I was, you know, I was looking for like, okay, if I'm going to go back to school, like where's a worthwhile place to go. And then eventually got back to LA to, uh, go to school at art center. So then, yeah, by that point it was like, I had been through failed bands, like Moving living everywhere. in a fucking drug house, like right. worried about like literally like be, was that stressful? Yeah. So stressful. Yeah. Because helicopters would go around looking for heat. Yeah. And they would, you know, they would, or, you know, and they would look for heat because there's it's lights like and grow lights. Mm, yeah. I didn't know that. Heat. Yeah. So, like, every morning, like, if I heard a helicopter, I'm just like, like, what? Yeah, that's fucking stressful. It was super you stressful. You for a long time for that and shit. And then I'm yes, like, would. I'm like, what? I'm like, for... I'm smart. I come from a good family. Like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, <laughs> you know, it's like, so. But also, you have an MC past. Yeah. So like you're like now you're drug now you're drug yeah, dealer you're like, like, Oh, this is just the some, life, yo. Some street cred <laughs> shit. <laughs> but that was after that yeah. anyway. Yeah, right. But but I, That's I, guess, scary. I guess part of it too was always like music was so hard to do if you couldn't commit the time to it. Yes. So it was like at that time, like you couldn't pay the rent in San Diego or LA working a you know, ten dollar an hour job. Yeah. Like so it was like this was like the only opportunity it seemed like you could we could afford to live in the type of place no, that great. we needed to yeah. live in and do it. But then it was just like, yeah, this is too much. So then by the time I'm finally back in LA years later at a good school, my motivation was so easy. It's like, shit, like I'm not yeah. worried about getting arrested. <laughs> yeah. This is, e you know, this is easy to me. You no know? more music. None of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. This is easy. Um, so then, yeah, it just kind of sparked the advertising career. And uh, what was your last job? What was the last one? The last, death. the last big agency job I had was for an agency in LA called Donor. Okay. Um, they were they were an agency that started in Detroit back in the day, and they did a bunch of the really famous old ad campaigns, like the Colt forty five Billy D Williams Ooh, campaign. Wow, Ooh, that was hot. That's yeah, sick. they right. did the how many licks does it take to get wow so, central lollipop? Yeah, like they yeah. were they were this like big, but then in modern day. They didn't do anything good. Yeah. They so could. they were trying to open this small LA office where they're like, hey, let's get some really creative people here that make some cool stuff under the donor name, mm. even though it's not really the main thing in Detroit. Yeah. So then I, I was doing that and we worked on, like the big account I worked on was Nestle. So I did DiGiorno frozen pizzas. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> oh, it, it was just terrible. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we'd have to, like, their headquarters were in Cleveland. Wow. And I'd have to go I'm to sorry. Cleveland to those headquarters all the time. And it was. I'm sorry about that. Cleveland I, I, headquarters. I didn't know DiGiorno's there, but I, I'm still on the Billy D tip. Yeah, I like that, right? Yeah. It's yeah. classic. Yeah. But the how many licks does it take, too? The center of the, uh, the Tootsie Roll Pop, right? That was so big. So big, yeah. Really big. And it was great, great idea. Great idea, you know? Wow. Well, back then it was a lot easier because if you had enough money, you could make sure that everybody saw your ad. Because there was way less channels on TV. Yeah. Remember oh, yeah, back then, there's only true. like 20 some channels, mm -hmm. maybe. Right. So it's like you could just buy airtime on one channel and everybody's going to see it. Now that's it's true, way harder. Right. 
Yeah. Now it's way harder. Must yeah. be so hard to do advertising now, and like Netflix and Hulu and just everything, right? No, it's just too much. They probably cross do everything, seems, cross promote. It's, it's so annoying. I think. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like they're trying. Like they'll monetize any. Yeah place there's an eyeball or an ear hole you know yes. it's like <laughs> unbelievably yeah. true yes um so you're at this is the last place you're working is this marketing spot is this when you come up with the idea for liquid deck when, how did that happen yeah so that that's actually kind of a funny story too so i was we didn't have to go through all that but basically at another point i was living in chattanooga tennessee yeah because what? Of, <laughs> how'd you get there so i came so it went boulder then it went Seattle. I worked for an agency there. Moved to San Francisco. Worked for an agency there. And then at that time, I was really starting to get over advertising because, like, just clients want to buy the worst shit ever. Like, you try to sell cool ideas, like, "Hey, let's make this cool thing." And they're like, "Oh, no, no, no. We want to do this bullshit thing." <laughs> right. Of you know. And I was, I was just like, man, like, I wasn't doing music. I just felt really creatively stagnant. I'm just like, like in a corporate world or corporate something. Wor yeah, yeah, I was really just like, you know, they were the, the money was really good, but I just started feeling like, fuck, I'm just like a slave to this paycheck and like I have no outlet. I'm not playing music. I'm not doing cool, creative stuff. Yeah. So then I was like, all right, well, because clients won't buy good work, I have to create my own product and do my own marketing for it. Mm, I see. And, and it was kind of out of necessity. So then at that time, you know, I decided basically, all right, if you're going to make a product, do something that you have more understanding of and or a network of than anybody else does. Because like creating a product from nothing is so hard. You have to have some advantage to like what you're doing. Totally. Mm -hmm. So at that time, my brother was a bartender. I was really into whiskey and all these di like different spirits and things like that. My best friend, Laura, at the time, she worked for a big like wine and alcohol distributor you know at the time i was dating a girl who was like a mixologist at like a fancy cocktail i'm just like wow. okay liquor culture like i'm a part of like i'm gonna create a liquor brand mm. so then at the time i was working on uh the airline virgin america as an account in advertising yeah and i was reading about richard branson a ton and i really loved his perspective on business which was Virgin finds a really stale category and they become the one cool thing in that category. Wow. So it was like air travel was like the worst shit ever. Like <laughs> nothing sexy about no. American airlines or like any of that. So then Virgin were like, we're going to make an airline and have neon lights and Love everybody. Virgin. Yeah. Everybody gets a cool little TV and everything's sexy and cool. It's like a nightclub vibe. Like a nightclub. I right? love it, man. So then, I love that perspective of Virgin. So mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, if I'm gonna make liquor, let me find the only category of liquor that has no cool brands in it. And it was hard because it was like, yeah. everybody was doing a whiskey. Yeah. There was a million cool vodkas, million cool like, you know, aperitif type things, million cool gins. So the only thing I could find was brandy. And it was literally like in the liquor store, there were Ugh. dust on the brandy <laughs> bottles, right? Yeah. yeah. Brandy, is brandy is not brandy, sexy. Is brandy not good? No, it's not good at all. It's like, I don't know, old man. Exactly. Drink. Yeah, yeah. old like, man oh, drink. Let's have a brandy. It's like, ugh. Okay. On purpose? Some the, old school the, shit. The brandy you probably know is Hennessy. Okay. Because that's cognac. Cognac is a type okay. of brandy. Well, then somehow that became cool. Yeah. 
yeah. Yeah, well, go yeah, on, yeah, yeah. Co- yeah, cognac. So the only thing people knew about brandy was cognac, right? which is a type of brandy, just like how Merlot is a type of wine. Okay. It's not all wine. It's just okay. one type. So people kind of knew Hennessy and cognac. So then I came up with this idea because whiskey was the most popular spirit at the time. Like they couldn't keep whiskey on the shelves. Like everybody was making a cool whiskey brand. So I wanted to take brandy and market it like whiskey because when I tasted it, it tasted a lot like whiskey, just a little bit sweeter. Okay. And I was like, well, shit, if whiskey is the most popular thing right now and this stuff tastes pretty close to it, in theory, this could be really popular too if people just knew more about it. True. Mm. Um, so then I created this brand that I based on a hot water music song called Western Grace. So I named the brand Great Western name. Grace. And I found and I designed like what the bottle would look like and the label and had a point of view on marketing because of my advertising background. That shit's yeah. easy for me to pull together. And then found just like looked up brandy distilleries, like who the fuck even makes it? Mm. Found this distillery two hours north of San Francisco in a town called Ukiah. Okay. These two old guys have been making brandy for like 20 years. Wow. And like some of the best in the world, apparently. And I went up there and presented them this thing and they were kind of like you know excited like we've been waiting for someone to make brandy cool forever <laughs> to rebrand brandy, <laughs> to re-brand brandy. <laughs> yeah holy shit so then we're all, stoked so i was stoked so all of a sudden they're like yeah like we'll make the brandy for you and you can do all the marketing and you know we'll just own a piece of the company or whatever so then it was like okay i have a brand and i have a producer so now I'm like, I don't know shit about the liquor industry. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I'm probably going to need some investors. I, I'm going to need some help. Yeah. <laughs> so literally, I went on LinkedIn, which I think is one of the most valuable platforms that people underutilize be, ever. Okay. Very. Like, looked up liquor industry people on, on LinkedIn, and my favorite liquor brand at the time was Sailor Jerry Rum and that whole success story. Okay. He was like a punk rock Philly ad guy that had the rights to Sailor Jerry's tattoo art made his own liquor brand based on it. Wow. Ten, 10 years later, sold it his share of it for $40 million. Wow. And it was, you know, and then he kind of had fuck you money and all the people that worked for his agency kind of all dispersed out. And Got I happened you. to find two of them and kind of told them about my project. And they were like, oh yeah, this sounds cool. We want to be involved. Mm-hmm. So then that was when I was in San Francisco. So then they were like, all right, well, if we're going to do this, you have to move to Philly because we're not moving to San Francisco. Wow. Okay. And there was two of them. So I was like, fuck. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm so tired of moving. So Jesus. Then, so then I moved back to Philly, got like a whatever day job in advertising just to pay the bills. And then every day we were working on the side, making this liquor company a real thing. And, uh, you know, did that for two years there. And then I kind of realized building a liquor company is a super insane because of all the legal red tape. Right. I was going to ask you. I mean, we spent more money on like lawyer stuff and things like that than we did on liquid death. Just, you know, you're not even close. And then I sort of realized too, in liquor, you know, marketing doesn't really have a huge impact until later because you can't sell liquor direct to people. So it's not like I can attract a bunch of people to my website and sell brandy. It's, It's illegal. You have to buy it at a bar or a liquor store. And those places won't even carry you unless you go through these whole process. Mm -hmm. So the liquor game as a startup is more about 
bartender acquisition and tastings where you have to go get these bartenders to like give a shit and, and, you know, talk about your product to people. It's like not fun stuff to do. Mm -hmm. So my partners were good at that side of it. I was a marketing guy. So at a certain point, like we butt heads on a lot of different things and I'm just like, you know what? You guys take it from here. I'll take my little piece of vested Mm. equity. I'm going to go back to the ad world and do my thing because we just like, we're not getting along. And like they were sort of independently wealthy from some other things they had done. Nice. So they were like, they were like, Mike, you have to work on this full time, but we're not paying you money. Uh, Okay. So I'm like, well, what the fuck am I supposed to do? Yeah. I can't, you know, Mm -hmm. well then, you know, you can't have the same ownership. And so they're still going. So it, I'm pretty sure it's still around. Like they were in maybe 60 bars in LA Wow. They kind of went through some oh, wow. management overhaul and then the guys the guys running it, I think they're based in Austin now and they're trying to get it going in Texas and Austin. Okay. Last I heard, they were trying to raise some money. I don't know if they were able to do it. Do you have it. to go through Hot Water Music and get permission when you do something like that? No, because it's a song title, okay. so it's not like trademarked. Okay. Um, were they stoked? They were. I sent I sent Chuck Reagan like a Sick. like a tweet saying, "Hey, name this," and he retweeted it. It was like, "Oh, that's so cool!" Awesome. So they were they were super cool with it. Wow. Um, yeah. And then after I left them, at the, at the same time, my buddy was starting like a, a small startup ad agency in Chattanooga, Tennessee, which is where he was originally from. Okay. Did um, you have to go there? Yeah. So he's like, "Hey, if you come to Chattanooga." Help me run this agency. <laughs> and I was like, I never thought going to I would live in the South. You know, right. like, I, mean, I was like, you know, Philly, Seattle, LA. Stand above the Mason Dixon line. But I actually really liked Chattanooga, actually. It was, okay. a, it was a cool town. Like, everybody was so friendly and nice. Small town. Vibes. Small town. Yeah. Um, How long are you out there for? I was there for a year. So we were, you know, doing this little nine person ad agency. And that was when the idea for Liquid Death came about, when, basically when I was there. Because their sort of sweet spot that they found was we started doing really funny advertising for the organic industry. Okay. Which they had never done funny stuff before. It was all just like yeah. family farms and right, like the right. sun setting over cows. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. So we did this viral campaign for this. It was the first organic protein shake. Mm. And... Maybe this, we tried it. Yeah. Yeah. And then the company is called Organic Valley. They do all, most of the milk and butter in like Whole Foods. Like they're huge, like okay. billion dollar company. But they were like, they knew that when they were launching a protein shake, all their family farm sunset stuff was not going to sell protein shakes to like the hardcore fitness crowd. So they were like, we want to do something fun. So we did this whole campaign called Save the Bros, <laughs> where basically it's like, if bros keep drinking all these chemically protein shakes, like they're probably not going to be around much longer than like, who's going to bring the beer pong table. And like, Oh my God. (laughs) So we had this whole sad infomercial about save the bros and, you know, get them on an organic protein shake before they become extinct essentially. Wow. And that that go blew up. Yeah. Blew up huge. (laughs) Save the bros. Save Save the the bros. bros. And then that was sort of like an aha moment for me in terms of like, yeah, how come healthy things aren't marketed in a cooler, funnier way? Why is it all so quiet and boring? Meanwhile, alcohol, energy drinks, candy, Doritos, Cheetos, all that shit is like funny and amazing, you know? Um, 
so then I kind of had this side project idea of doing water in a can to basically make fun of energy drinks. Essentially, it was like mm. we, you know, it could be this thing. And I think the original name that we were joking about was calling it Noble, like making fun of like Red Bull. Oh, wow. But there was like no bullshit in it because uh, energy drinks are just mm, full of bullshit. That's pretty clever, too, though. There would have been some serious beef, though, probably. Yeah, it was just like, and it was small. No pun was, intended. Yeah, it was like, I'm not doing this just to, like, I don't want to make the whole company just like an energy drink dig. Because, like, I'm not against energy drinks. Like, you know, there's a right time for them. But, like, why should they literally own skateboarding and punk rock and all the cool things I like? You know, because gotcha. they literally own it. Monster right now was valued at $50 billion. Red Bull's about sixty billion. Mountain Dew is Pepsi, which is for like two hundred billion. Is all public knowledge? Yeah, yeah, Nicole yeah. There's all. Oh, yeah, you can look it up <laughs> on the internet. Some real stats. <laughs> Where are you getting your numbers? No, from? I believe I'm Mon- saying Monster's a publicly traded company. They're on, yeah, yeah, they're on the stock market and they're independent, right? No, Coke, no, no. Coke owns a piece of them, and I think they might have bought a majority of them recently. I'm not sure. But Red Bull's independent. Red Bull's independent. Wow. Red Bull's independent. That's a big indie label. So like yeah. these guys have. They're all literally billionaires that can just throw around money and like who else is throwing money at bands mm-hmm. or skateboarders or things like that before Red Bull? Nobody was. Yeah. Right. You know? So I just thought that was just kind of this cool thing of like, hey, let's put water in a can. And then the more I learned about cans, it's like, oh, yeah, they're infinitely recyclable. Mm-hmm. And plastic was kind of starting to really become like this hot topic of how bad it was and, and, and what it was doing. So all of a sudden it was just like everything sort of came together of like, Hey, this is like a more sustainable thing. It's about health. And now let's just build a brand around it that not only can compete with like the, you know, extreme marketing of, of Red Bull and monster, yeah. but actually even one up it and make it seem like the corporate bullshit that it is. Right. You know? Yeah. Oh, wow. So it was like when we were coming up with the brand for liquid death, I mean, it was we, it was really me by myself. It was like, I'm thinking through, all right, the only way this has a chance at surviving with no money, like no marketing dollars, mm-hmm. is the product itself has to be insanely shareable. Like when you get it in your hand, people have to take their phone out and be like, I got to take a photo of this and put it's it on. It's true, social. man. Okay. It's really true. Because without that Visual. organic sharing, mm. we wouldn't be able to afford paying for all you the were, eyeballs. You were thinking about this. Had to. Okay. Yeah. Cause I mean, that was the benefit of coming from marketing to know, Got it. you know, right. just to advertise on a podcast. Some people, you know, what is, I think Joe Rogan charges like 50 grand or something for right. one drop on a podcast. It's like, what are you going to do as a new company? You don't have that kind of money. We, we yeah. char- I just want to know we charge uh, 50 cents. Yeah, (laughs) but, uh, you know, it's like, you know, I think that was always a part of what this brand would be. And the other thing I knew was like to make something that doesn't that is so clearly not corporate. You know, it's like I wanted a thing that looked away and had a name where when you saw it in two seconds, you're like, that's not from Coke and that's not from Pepsi. Mm. Like there's probably a real human being behind this that I might want to have a beer with because it's funny. And it's like that goes a long way with people, especially in the beverage world where everything is kind of corporate and boring because Coke, Pepsi, they own everything. Yeah, totally. Make all the decisions. They set all the rules essentially. So that's kind of, you know, started coming up with the, the liquid death brand. You came up with the name? Yeah, came up with the name. And the Murder Your Thirst? And Murder Your Thirst, yep. 
It's just so perfect, man. And, and that was in, it was starting to happen in Tennessee when I, when I was there. And then this is where skateboarding came in. Out of the blue, again, I got a job offer from Street League Skateboarding. Um, Big deal. And for me, that was like, I've been working on fucking frozen pizzas and <laughs> college university <laughs> stuff. So yeah, far away from your roots, so far away from skateboarding. Yeah, so that. far yeah. away. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh hey, this you know this big skate company with Rob Deerdeck like wants to it's hire a, me no joke. A, as a creative director, and I was like, this seems like the dream job. Was to Paul me. Conroy there too then? I don't think so. Okay, okay. Um, Shut up, Paul. What's up, Paul? <laughs> so then I moved back to L.A. because they're like, so I moved to L.A. Wow, um, worked at Street League. You know, I only was at Street League for like eight months. You know, and it was fun, but it, it was kind of like a mutual thing. Like at the end of the day, they realized like. I was probably too expensive for what they really needed. Like they, they didn't need a big advertising creative director. They needed like a skateboarder who could call the pro homies to go film whenever they want. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, like, and they, they were really battling like a bad reputation in skateboarding as being a thing for little kids and not really being respected in like the core skate world. Was that fantasy factory time or no? Yeah. That was around that same okay. time. And it was like, you know, you go to a street league, event and it was like lots of little kids there and like you know and like you talk to like skate shops and they would just feel like yeah street league's kind of cheesy so they were like very paranoid about they want to come off as like they want to celebrate the things that feel like the core skateboarders would like yeah so they they just kind of started going a different direction and me and you know brian um atlas the the president and rob like we all liked each other and it was like very hey, hey this probably just isn't going to work and i'm like hey i totally get it I don't really get it either. You know, like, yeah, I, you know, I was used to doing funny commercials and things like that. Skateboarding has no money to do anything. Yeah. You know, it was very, very low key. So I wasn't happy either. Anyhow, we mutually split ways. And then, you know, I started working for other agencies and I just kind of kept developing the liquid death idea on the side. And then eventually when I was at donor here, I released that first commercial of the waterboarding. Mm -hmm. And that, I think we spent 1500 bucks to shoot that and make that video. And I knew that before we ever had product, I had to pretend it was a real product it's crazy, man. and release it on social and see how people reacted to it. And cut to three months later, the video has 3 million views. We have more followers than Aquafina, and we're not even a real product. It's like totally yeah, you had nothing in, in play yet. No, Where nothing in play get yet. It? Right. You know, wow, the, water, the actual water or anything. So right. Artwork as far as... Just the artwork. Kind of like early artwork on okay. the can, which didn't even look exactly like this. Okay. It was kind of different. And we would even like change the artwork. Right. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, like we started getting uh, direct messages from distributors. Hey, we're the biggest non-ALK distributor in New York. Can we talk to a salesperson? And then... Like, Yo, it's me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. You're talking to him. Yeah. So then I just, wow. you know, I, I took all of that and that was enough to actually get people to give me money for this right. insane idea. That's what I was going to If I just would have said, oh, hey, I have this idea for canned water called Liquid Death. Do you want to write me a check for $50,000? Right. Mm -hmm. so, so where did you look for these investors? Like you're, you you had like the idea in hand. You had all those numbers. We works were... in marketing too. So that's that connect, right? Well, I I would think so, yeah. but I mean, but you're you're looking for for people that have money are like, yo, I got this money to invest. Yes. Yeah, so, so we looked believe at believe in it, right? <laughs> and, and, and it was and 
for the first round of funding that you do for a company, it's almost always what they call friends and family. Uh, it's like old bosses I worked for right, that, right. that you know were well off, that, mm-hmm. that liked me and respected me. You know, you know, my family isn't wealthy or anything, so I didn't. It wasn't much family, but it was mostly just like former bosses, mm-hmm. people I knew, mm-hmm. and you know, and they had friends that were like, "Oh, hey, this looks like a cool thing I'm getting in on. Do yeah. you want to get in on it?" Did you? I mean. You had to do research on the entire water game in Did, order to, yeah. to tell those investors like, hey, five years, this is where we should be at. Like a projection? Like did you have to do all the yeah, numbering I mean, like to figure it out? Yeah, I had to do a lot of research on like the water market and you looked and it was like at that time it water had just surpassed soda for the number one non alk beverage category. Wow. Okay. It was like soda was always the king forever. Yeah. And then water, bottled water past soda. I think it was like three or four years ago. Okay. Wow. So, so that was like Finally. a nice, that was, yeah, that was like a nice stat to be able yeah. to talk about. Hey, this is the biggest category that is marketed in the most narrow way. Mm-hmm. Like mm. everybody drinks water. So there's room for all kinds of marketing in that category. True. Not totally. everybody drinks energy drinks, you know? Yeah. Right. That's Absolutely. true. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we we raised the you know a friends and family round that was like just enough to produce a minimum run of product. You know, like we just need something physical. Right. And then uh, you start getting. You said you got nominated for some awards before you even had product too, right? Yeah. So once we were getting that internet traction, and it was kind of going, I don't want to say it was viral, but it was getting a lot of traction on the internet and getting some press write ups about hey, water company liquid death, like you know <laughs> these folks in Europe caught wind of it and invited us to these European beverage awards saying, Hey, we think you should submit your brand in these European beverage awards. So we did. And we ended up getting nominated for best new brand. What did you submit Isn't that to freaking them, crazy? I mean, were they testing it? Like, Oh, did you're you like, bring anything? Well, with no, you? When yeah. it's brand, it's not about, it's not about taste. Okay. It's like about best new brand. So it's like, okay. The packaging, oh, like wow. the marketing, like right. the, the point of view and all that. And, so we ended up, my so wife and I. In the hotel, like, yeah. Close it up and here you go. Yeah, they were like, oh, and I think I even asked, I'm like, hey, if even if we don't have product just yet, <laughs> uh, is that okay? They're like, yeah, you know, as long as like, you know, you are making product. And, right. and at that time we were. Okay. Because like okay. we had some money, we, were, we you know, but it was a long process to actually get it. Right. Um, and then we go. My, my wife and I ended up going out to Prague yes. for these award shows. And uh, yeah, we end up winning Best New Brand in That's this so beverage crazy, award man. show. <laughs> and, uh, and then, yeah, so then it was like, now we had that under our belt. So it was like, okay. look at all the social traction. We just won Best New Brand right. in Europe. You know? So let's get some Yeah, more you just be- keep kind of stacking the resume, right? right? And then that we were able to kind of keep raising a little bit more money just to kind of help fund that first initial drop right. of stuff. And then once we had physical product in hand, we got connected with um, a VC group here in LA called Science that were the ones um, who kind of were the main original backers of Dollar Shave Club, if you remember that. Yeah, yeah I remember that. Um, they were acquired back in 2016, I think, for a billion by Unilever. Mm-hmm. And they were just like a razor company selling razors on the internet and they made really funny marketing. Wow. And again, same kind of thing. Like how terrible are like 
shaving commercials for the last 30 yeah like there's nothing cool about them yeah so they kind of were this first brand with some personality and and fun to sell razors and they did really well so they were interested in liquid death kind of being like oh you're kind of doing a similar thing in water like this huge category where there's nothing cool and you guys are doing something cool and interesting and then once we got them on board then it was like really off to the races then it was like they helped us figure out our website and yeah. launching like a you know e-commerce website because they did Dollar Shave Club and yeah it's you know. awesome. And then it was just like from then on, then it was just like we started selling pr- the first cases of product in late January 2019, and we only sold it from our website and Amazon at that time. Mm-hmm. Wow! And then it was like it was always this thing. I feel like people thought it was fake. Like no one believed it was real. Like people are like liquid death. Oh, that's funny. That'd be funny if that was real. And it's yeah. like, then finally, when people actually had physical product in this like thing that seems like it doesn't even, it shouldn't even exist. Like mm-hmm. who, <laughs> who would make this is right. real. Then it's just like the shareability happened and everybody's talking about it. And it just, yeah. then it was just like kind of the, the rocket ship sort of. Yeah. Thing. For the listeners, it looks like a can of beer. So if like, yeah. if you have this out in public or if you're a kid in the car driving mm-hmm. or somewhere, uh, people think you have a beer in your hand. You know. Yeah, what I, mean? like I remember uh, your son. Uh, we we're going up down Runyon, and he was drinking. Yeah, people can. looking at him like, and "Why is this?" People like, "Yo, what's up with that young kid <laughs> just drinking a, a beer <laughs> in the middle of the day?" And then my neighbor's hub, who always like teased me about w- being straight edge and not being man enough and coming to the barbecues and drinking with them in the garage and everybody smoking, listening to music. I pulled up when I first got one of these and said, yo, I finally became a man. I have a beer with you guys. <laughs> and one of the guys had a beer that looked almost similar to that, more with an M. Modelo. Modelo. It's just like that. And they're like, oh my God. And I cracked it open. I was like, they're like, oh my God. And I was like, nah, it's water. Like, Motherfucker. <laughs> but I love that. I love that people think it's it's so, so trippy, man. We give them one and say, try this. Like, that's not a beer company. You know what I mean? It's like. Well, oh, yeah. the, the thinking. There's actually, what's that in your. Yeah, there's some psychology behind it. So mm. we, we learned in marketing that you if if you want like if you want teens to want something mm. you actually m- market it to people in their 20s yes you know because it's like oh right. i want the thing i can't have so like energy drinks for example with their bright colors and stuff it's like they're marketing to like 16 and 17 year olds they don't think monster is the coolest thing ever but 12 year olds do you know mm. what i mean it's like so we knew that okay if you're going to one up energy drinks how do we make energy drinks actually seem like they're for kids? And it's like, oh, well, let's make it look like a thing that like legally you're not even supposed to be drinking. Wow. But, but also it was like, I always thought beer design was so cool. I did too. I always thought- I like the lettering, like, the old English and shit. Like yeah, the, the lettering, yeah. all the cool craft I, I beers. I always thought the, the beer designs have always been interesting throughout time. And I remember at a time of collecting beer cans oh, cool. because of designs. Really? My brother, yeah. It, my brother and his friends had a, a crazy collection. I was like, I'm going to start mine. And it was like a big thing. I just remember when I was a kid and the designs. And I remember there was a uh, Colt 45 can design that kind of reminded me of these colors of the liquid death yeah. a little bit. Yeah. But I just remember the Billy D ad, of course. And it was just like, you know, every time, you know, works every time. Yeah, it works every <laughs> time. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, but I they were fascinating, you know. They had it was almost like stories. I, I don't know, kind of a way of, of like flags to me. I've always been fascinated with the backstory of countries' flags and things like that. But beer cans and old beer designs and how they yeah. change it up, you know, it's always been incredible. 
I'm always like, why does beer get to own a look? Right. <laughs> yeah, it's like anything can look like this. Why right. does beer have to be the only thing that looks True. cool like this? You know. True. And then getting these size cans, you said the size. Yes. They're hard to get in America. So what these size cans? is this? This is. So this is the European 500 milliliter can. So it's 16.9 ounce US. Yeah. What's that in US uh, yeah. numbers? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've always thought, like, why, don't, why, the, the, why doesn't the U.S. just go to the fucking metric system? Back in our day, I know that Toby and I are a little bit older. They attempted this in school, and I remember specifically, like, okay, we're going to learn what the rest of the world uses as a measuring system. And that, you know, it lasted for about a month or so, or actually a good year where they were really trying to push this in schools. And then they were just like, you know what? Fuck it. Yeah. Damn. We don't care. You know what? We're not going to change. Actually, the problem becomes they're not going to change everything else here to that system. They're like, what's the point of you guys even learning it? So they stopped because there was a big thing to try to change. And they're like, wait, that would cost so much money to change everything around us into that system that the rest of the world uses. Forget wow. about it. You know, let's go back to there what we know. <laughs> Do you ever <laughs> remember this? He's kind of like punk scene joke artist called Adam and his package from Philadelphia. No, no. he was like a, this punk guy that made like program beats and things. And he made these silly like songs where like what one was called like a punk rock high school where he's singing about how he wants there to be a punk rock high school and the radio snow code is six, six, six. And like, wow. But he had this whole thing where his, this whole, like, I don't know what you would call it. Like, mission to like get the u.s to switch over to the metric system <laughs> and wow. on his t-shirts it was That's adam and awesome. his package and on the back of the shirt for the metric system it said stick your foot up your fucking ass so they're and they're picking the water like how how do you pick the water like does it all water taste the same or not yeah what's your source what's your source well, it's on, of- it's on, i mean it's from austria it's from Austria. Austria. Australian Alps. So what we found was when I was trying to figure out how to make the brand, there's no bottling places in North America that can put water in cans mm-hmm. because it wasn't a category yet. Mm-hmm. And most of the water sources didn't have canning capabilities then. So I found this place in Austria that had their own you know, spring water sources and they had the ability to put it in cans. And there wasn't many other people who could do it at the time. Were so, there any other materials that you're thinking that you could put it in, like, boxes? I mean, I was, set, I, was set, I was set on cans because I think, again, so much of this is not about, like, it's about the brand. Like, it's fun to walk around with this thing that looks like mm-hmm. a beer. And, like, that's part of, like, even the psychology of why people are drinking more water. Like, LaCroix, for example, and all that flavored sparkling stuff. That lightly flavored sparkling had been around for years in plastic bottles before, and it never really took. It's true. But like once LaCroix put it in cans, I think psychologically it felt more like a soda replacement. I see. You know, you're, you're holding a whole can. It's almost like you're tricking your brain into mm-hmm. thinking it's something bad. I, I, I think, I think the whole market is, is interesting, the whole water market, because I know that I, I'm just trying to get our age difference here as far as <laughs> – from what I remember growing up, like it, it, I never imagined that people would be buying water. Mm, we right. came from that time period of the tap water, tap right. water. You yeah, know, like I yeah. never imagined, like if somebody came to us 
you know, from the future, it's like you guys are going to be buying water and whatever package. True, and we'd be laughing at them, be right. like, why the hell would we be buying water? It's fucking free. Right. You know? right. right. Yeah. And so when do you think that turnaround came about? And that had to do with advertising. It did. Absolutely, right? Yeah. Evian was one of the first brands that did it. And people thought it was the most asinine thing at the time. It was like, fancy water. Who's bu-? And it became this thing that I, th- I think at the time it was more like a status symbol back then. Mm-hmm. Um, Madonna where, was a big pusher of that. Mm-hmm. Oh, her, really? Yeah, I, don't, I don't remember In her that. famous movie, Truth or Dare, where, where she took the bottle and put it in her mouth and deep throated the bottle of Evian. Just for Hello. listeners. <laughs> I'm just saying. That was like a big like, thing with the Evian bottle. Like that, that was like... I mean, that wouldn't be my selling point. Like, oh, she just... No, I'm not going to say but Madonna became a big person for Evian after her Truth or Dare movie. That would definitely right. help. Yeah. Anyway, sales. but Evian tastes... I never liked the taste of Evian. And because I love Madonna that. so much, I tried. I was like, no, nah, I'm not really into this. Yeah, why do those... It's a totally different question again. Uh, a lot of those waters have this weird funky taste to it. And I, and, and I, so, so what's up with that? So they say... <laughs> yeah. What's up with that? They say that like come on, strict nine. He, tell he, us, he's what's like, up with he, that? He's the god of water. Yeah. It's all the answers. I know yeah. way more about water. I'm than sure you had to do the research. Uh, but uh, it, it's actually so all the other water that's in plastic bottles. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing. It's the same thing with beer too. The biggest thing that affects the taste yes. is light and air. Thank you for saying this. Mm. Yeah, it's like when light is hitting this water in a plastic bottle, it's getting warm, whatever. Like the pla- it's actually affecting the taste of it. Gotcha. So why do you think that there are beer companies that create beers in clear bottles thinking that it's a good point? I, I mean, just because it's different, right? Yeah, it's a marketing thing. It's like but looking at that Corona bottle, it, you can see the yellow and gold. I always thought it was disgusting because it was killing the flavor of the beer and, and the fact that the light was affecting it. And there's a reason why those bottles are dark that they are. So it's not. Well, the thing is like. Our, your, our brains are wired in such a weird way where it's like taste is not actually the reason anybody buys or does anything. Right. You know, it's like Corona. It's, you know, if you blind taste tested 10 different beers, like someone who loves Corona might not even pick out Corona. They might, you know, they might pick out something else. It's all just like the the emotional perception of, the beach and where you drank it before. Unless you were a German or Czech, you would be like, this is bullshit. Yeah. They're drinking. You're like, yeah. this is not good beer. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to this Corona and all those clear bottled uh, alcoholic beverages, but uh, I, I just always thought it was hilarious. Like, they don't care about right. yeah, taste, it's, it's like Yeah. It's, a, it's just like a vi- they, they know that, like, the visual presentation and tying it to the the brand thing of like the beach and all that, like that's more why people are buying it. Absolutely. Not because it tastes so much better than every other beer, you know? Oh my God. It's crazy. And so, so well, it's, you... it's like those ads you've seen them a million times over the years where it's like, they have people come into a fancy restaurant and they're eating this, pizza on a fancy platter right like did you know that that's pizza hut no (laughs) that's de giorno yeah yeah, (laughs) but from cleveland that's right but like your brain probably does think it tastes so good because you're in a fancy place it's the environment like all these things affect your brain and how it perceives things you know Mm, this is so true it's definitely you know the advertising is super powerful. You know? We've had we had a guy tell us he was he stopped drinking alcohol, and 
He drinks Liquid Death Sparkling now. Mm -hmm. And because to him it looks and feels so much like a beer, he actually says, I feel like it tastes like beer when I'm drinking it. Interesting. Wow. And I also heard people talk about they like it because they can be at a party where everyone's drinking and everything and kind of fit in. Because I found out, like, when people find out you're not drinking, they're always pushing it on you. Like, yo, don't you want to drink? It's like I told you about two hours ago I don't drink. Yeah. Or it's like I'm I'm not feeling, oh, what's wrong? You know, oh, do you have a problem? I didn't know. And it's like, no, I just don't want to drink, you know. But with the liquid death, they said that they felt, you know, people were less inclined to offer them tons of drinks and things like that or alcohol if and some, they fit in. And if somebody's know? buzzed, they might think you're holding a beer anyway if you have it in your hand. Oh, he already yeah. has a beer. Yeah. <laughs> but boy, I love it. Liquid death. It's not just the packaging. It, it tastes great too. I don't know if it's a combination between the water's great and it's in a can it, and these things cold are amazing, but it actually tastes good. So you can have a great product looking and image, but then also it's got to be good as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, the fact that it's, it's from a freezing cold can, I think is a big yeah, part of it. So good. Plastic, it's breaking down. And so you're getting those elements inside water and plastic bottles. And just like plastic isn't as cold to the touch as a can. Like there's something mm-hmm. sensory about a freezing cold can. It's almost like hard to hold. It's so cold and you're drinking from it. Yeah. It's very true too. You know, There's a lot of things involved in this. In this. I'm learning about yeah, It's not just the water I, and the brandy. You know what I mean? There, also, it's almost like a street brand too with the merchandise and everything too. It's mm-hmm. like a, it's more than just a water company. Yeah. And I think the way that I like the, market liquid death or think about liquid death is i think about it like a band you know mm-hmm. yeah like a band their primary product is making great music mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean they don't have the right to sell t-shirts it doesn't mean they don't have the right to get paid money to play it live you know or whatever so Please i do a live stream yeah Garage, it was awesome and thank it, you and it all works together yeah, right. I it's see, like i see when I yeah see when, point. when you wear the shirt of the band you now have more of an emotional connection to the brand mm-hmm. you know uh, totally. to the band and the music and when you and when you've discovered something that's you feel is great it's you, you like want to, to spread the word it. yeah right. it does become something very natural like yo right. guess what i had the other day has <laughs> the, has the name um gave you trouble about getting into certain places because the name says liquid death the word death in it oh big time i'm sure yeah like that originally we knew that no retailer was going to put this on the show <laughs> So we. Start, I love that. You, I love that. You, I love that you knew that and still yeah. pushed it and believed in it. I love that. Well, because well, and we, you know, when we were before we launched it, like a lot of thought goes into this, and like right. you know, I had advisors who invested who were some of the smartest people in marketing that have done crazy game changing stuff, like brainstorming with them about how should we launch, and our our strategy from the beginning was, to your point, because it fits so well in like a party environment, like a bar, club, whatever. Let's start there. So okay. we could easily convince a bar to yes, carry liquid death. Absolutely. Yeah. So so we just mm. we just focused on bars okay. at first. And that would just kind of bars are like crowded places where people will see this and be like, oh, what's that? Right. Oh, it's this thing. You know, it'll just help get the word out. And then once that the plan was like once we're in shitloads of bars and everybody's talking about it, then the retailer might be more willing to take you in because they believe they're actually gonna make money off you. Yeah. Okay. Because money changes everybody's right. religion, essentially. Right. Right. You know? right. Um, it's so, such a super grassroots DIY approach, too. Yeah. Which I love. Yeah. And, and it kind of has to be because I think a lot of people who want to be entrepreneurs, they're under this like impression that I'm just going to come up with an idea, 
pitch it to somebody and they're going to give me all the money in the world to go big out of the gate. And it's just like that, that doesn't happen. It's like people are very protective of their money. Absolutely. They don't, they want you to de-risk it as much as possible. Right. What can you show me that makes me feel like I'm not just going to piss this away. So it's like, Oh, well we've got this many followers and we have distributors reaching out and all these bars who said they never even sold bottled water before moving five cases a week. Yeah. Now it's like, oh, okay, I feel a little bit better about writing you a check. You know? Yeah. And what's the place you got liquid death into that you're shocked that they took it? Our first major retail account was Whole Foods. And they were the first one. Nobody else really That's amazing. wanted to touch it. Interesting. And wow. It's not like they're Whole Foods is some heavy metal company. Yeah. yeah. You know? would, <laughs> they're very conservative. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, but I think Whole Foods, they like to be on the forefront of cool new brands and yeah. things, you know, it's like a place where people discover new products, you know, yeah. you don't necessarily go to Ralph's. Hey, what new thing can I find here? You kind of have a list and you're like in yeah. and out of there. Whole foods is a little bit more exploratory True. where people are finding new cool. True. Things. Absolutely. So they were definitely into our sustainability kind of message because that's big for them. And so what, so what do you, is there anything that you do about sustainability or how you're involved in any type of programs of, uh, sustainability is there something going on with you guys yeah so like if on our can you know we have this mission that we call death to plastic okay and, then, and then it's like we donate 10 percent of the profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution so basically we work right now with three different nonprofits that we take a portion of the profits and we give them to one's called five uh five gyres they help basically fight plastic and cleaning cleaning the ocean and like, you know, plastic legislation and things like that. It's awesome. We work with this other company. They're not plastic based, but they're called Thirst Project. And they basically drill clean drinking water wells in Africa and all these places where there's not clean water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then an, the one we just started working with um, is called Pangea Seed. And they basically, they're interesting. Like they use art to basically help educate people about environmental issues so like they commission these rad murals in all these towns all over the world about like the ocean and plastic and these cool messages because they believe like if you can involve art around the thing it makes people start to care more true about sort of Mm -hmm. thing which i think is is pretty cool yeah and everybody bought a ticket to the h2o live stream one dollar went to the thirst project for every ticket oh right yeah so thank you everybody who did that so this live stream if people haven't heard it so you did a live stream with H2O, and this was the first time. First one. First, first one. one uh, first big project involved with a musician or a band or, 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 I mean. Music. Yeah, like a custom project right. like that. Yeah, for sure. And uh, do you have anything for the future that you plan on doing uh, with different artists or yeah, we, collaborations? Yeah, we want to do more for sure. And I think what, you know, our approach to the H2O one is – you know, there was a lot of bands doing live streams during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I watched a couple, like uh, we sponsored one for the Bronx, which was awesome. Nice. Um, we sponsored Guars. Um, and, and I watched them and they're great. They're fantastic. But I think the thing that hit me was like, it's really hard to sit and watch like a full set of music with no breaks on a screen. Right. Because it's not live. Right. It, it is different. There's no you audience know? but you. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's just like your brain starts to wander after, you know. So when we did one, I was like, I want to make it more like 
a concert film. Like bands have or been mini releasing. Doc. Yeah, yeah. Bands have been doing DVDs for years where yeah, they're yeah. like, yeah, little docs where it's like intercut mm-hmm. live performance with, um, you know, doc stuff. Yeah. yeah. So we're like, we want to do that kind of approach because then it's like you're fully engaged for 45 minutes or an hour and you're not like wandering. Right. Totally makes sense. And, uh, and then, yeah, I think plus, you know, as the, the pandemic is going to end in the near future, like it might be 90 days, things are starting to go back. Right. Kind of yeah, normal. Man. So 90 days, that's crazy. I know. I mean, the, it's going I mean, fast. Yeah. Like the vaccines, like my wife's going to get the vaccine, I think on Thursday. Yeah. Um, Shout out to your wife too, who edited the thing. I mean, she did an incredible job. Oh, thank you. She'll incredible job. Yeah, on she's, the, on the, yeah. Carly, my wife has edited almost all the liquid death nice. videos. She's today. a secret weapon. Yeah. She is a secret weapon. But yeah, she killed it. Like, it, I mean, it's, I'm so happy with it. My band was so happy. The response on that was so great. It, people said it was like a 90s VHS throwback vibe. Thank you for being part of it too, Derek. Thanks for having me. That was man. fun. I mean, it was when you see the product fun. too, like you don't know when you're in there recording because it's kind of awkward playing to nobody. You know what I mean? Then <laughs> that, is, that is weird, huh? Just so unco- it's so uncomfortably weird. But then like the footage know. in this kitchen, us hanging out, like all that other stuff, like it just made it go by fast and it was, it was just fun, I guess, you know? It was smooth. Yeah. Smooth sailing. So yeah, she did a great job. <laughs> great. And I think what's cool about those is like even when COVID's over, it still makes sense for us to keep making these because like Please, yes. they're just interesting to watch. You Absolutely. Know? I think you're right. And, sure. and a lot of times, you know, people who are overseas internationally would enjoy this. Yeah, enjoy, yeah, yeah right. It's a great yeah. way to connect to them. Right. You know? Because we're opening up probably faster than Europe's going to be open up. So still people can't see shows over there. You know I, what I mean? You're right. Unfortunately. It's, Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Things are still in lockdown over there. And yeah. so people still want to see live, especially in Europe, all the festivals being canceled and everything. Yeah, so know, those things, those live things are important, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I want to say that we kind of, with, with Liquid Death, created kind of a, a new kind of blueprint that I think bands maybe might approach is like that mini doc vibe. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's like interviews in between. I think it's. And, uh, and I think what we, what we can hopefully, like the way we can add value is like, luckily with Liquid Death, the one thing we are good at is the creative side of things. Like we have great editors. We have access yeah. to amazing people who can shoot stuff. Shout out to Ben too. Shout it. Yes. Yeah. Ben's great. Um, yeah. I think like we can make something that if the band just wanted to make it on its own, it would probably cost them a lot of money to go source the same people. Totally. Right? You know? Right. And it's like, if we have all these resources and we can help bring it to the table and mm-hmm. you know, the, the band basically doesn't have to take any risk and can just be the band and yeah. do something. It just enables, it makes it an easier decision. Cause you know, Blasco who works with us, some of his bands, it's like, you know, a band might have to spend 25 grand on production to make one of these things. It's a risk. You're hoping you sell enough tickets to make totally. that money back. And maybe you will, but maybe not. So it's like, it, it just becomes a more stressful thing for a band to try to take it on themselves where mm-hmm. it's like pushing it and telling people, hope it's yeah, good. Yeah. yeah. It's like, if we can kind of help use our platform and our resources to, to do cool stuff for bands, like that's always been, I mean, I always wanted music to be at the core of liquid death. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason it works for us is like, as much as I love skateboarding and action sports, monster and Red Bull and all those guys, they own that. Like, mm-hmm these guys can't make money any other way other than sponsorships. You can't just go ride a skateboard in the street and people throw money at you. Right, right. So you rely on sponsorships. So yeah. as much as they would love to rock liquid death, they can't necessarily walk away from like their only paycheck. Gotcha. So, and I understand that music is different music. 
makes money selling merch and records and touring and doing that so they can be selective about the brands they want to work with. Totally. Like you'd never see a band where every member in the band is decked head to toe in Red Bull gear. <laughs> it's close with that with Monster though. With Mo- I mean, like, like kind of. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I've seen like, that more for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. They sponsor like, big tours. They, they sponsor <laughs> tours and stuff, right? Yeah. yeah they'll, 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 they'll wear like the the Monster wristband sometimes, yes. but you'll never. Yeah, or yeah, a hat, right. but you'll never like athletes. They're head to toe. You know what that's I mean? Because, like, oh yeah. If you're yeah. sponsored oh, by yeah. Nike, you're head to toe in yeah. Nike. But yeah, that's a crazy paycheck. Crazy you know, paycheck, right? right. Yeah. So we're always like music. We can actually compete because we are cooler than that. There's not many Absolutely. people who are like, right. oh yeah, we want to we want to support Red Bull and Mon-. like nobody's saying that. Right. It's like, hey, they'll give us money and we're gonna take it because yeah. we gotta live. But you too. have a very good point there. I mean, a lot of artists don't want to support something that they don't truly believe, believe in. in. Right. And, totally. And so. I think this is something that you guys are doing that bands feel good to have that collaboration with something that's cool. Right. Especially, especially when they hear the story on this podcast. Um, but how he came up and the whole entire mm-hmm. thing. It's an incredible story, man. And then it, it, when, and when the pandemic happened and all the bands were, you know, like every tour was canceled. Like and that and in today's music industry with Spotify, like touring is how you the only way you make money as a musician. Totally. Now, right. It's always been pretty yeah, much. Yeah. Um, merch yeah so we were like what can we do to try to help all these because we had just started doing lots of stuff with bands and like okay how can because we were lucky during the pandemic our sales went through the roof because people were wanted didn't couldn't go to the store so ordering water from the internet was Mm -hmm. like a lot easier and people wanted water because people were more health conscious people stocking up on water for that yeah oh yeah because the the apocalypse the apocalypse the end times are here we had so much water i remember that yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like we oh my god yeah people are going crazy they were going crazy yeah so we were like okay well we're doing great how could we help all our friends and bands and yeah. things so we started this thing called death peddlers where oh. we let all of our uh, we let our bands and then their friends who were in bands sign up in this program and they get their own custom code so they could use their social followings which they still had and say hey use this code on liquiddeath.com and Basically, any one of their fans that used their code, we gave them like half of the profits from all the wow, shit they sold. Man. That's Did fucking awesome. That. That's oh. awesome. Yeah, and so like you know, Converge was doing it, and mm-hmm. you know some of our you know all the you know Bomb Pops were doing it, all, and then it started spreading, and people were doing it. It's, and it's awesome. like you know we're not some massive drop in the bucket for them. It's it's small, but it's still something mm-hmm. that like kind of helps them. Oh, that's great. Um, it's so nice to be like working yeah. at a water company, even though you're a musician as well and giving back to musicians. It's, it's awesome, man. Yeah. That's really cool. We did a whole, we did a thing at Whole Foods too, where it was like for a whole month, we said any of the water we sell at Whole Foods, 50% of the profits are going to our death peddler bands. Oh, wow. Know? So then bands were, were like telling people like go into Whole Foods, yeah, you know, like they were helping. Yeah. It sells out fast in Whole Foods, right? It does. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they, Whole Foods, they don't keep uh back stock. Mm-hmm. Is that something new during the pandemic or something? Always I done? think it was something. Yeah. It's like a lot of these stores, like they have so many products, like they just don't have the space to try right. to keep. So really the only stuff that's on the shelf is what's there. So when you're a new brand like us, the only way you get reordered is if like the kid going around the store checking inventory is has liquid death top of mind, but he's got 10,000 other things Damn. he's trying to worry about. So until you're like a big brand that's selling a ton, you're not really on there. Let's check this radar, every day. Right. Radar. Right. Right. 
Wow. But yeah. So for now, Liquid Death is available in America and any other countries. Or is there not internationally yet? We're about to open up merch internationally, Sick. okay, which will be cool because we yeah. have tons of people who are like, oh, oh I'm sure. Yeah. I know when we put the posters up, people are like, oh my god, we we'll get the posters. But yeah, that's cool to do that. So, so they have to order online to get it shipped internationally. Yeah, they can order from our site, and then yeah, we'll start shipping. Yeah, t-shirts, hoodies, and stuff. But no water gets shipped to Germany from U.S. No, no, because it's too expensive. Mm. It, just shipping one case. I think it's like a hundred dollars from here. Wow! <laughs> but since it's being manufactured, I was going to ask you that. Austria. Would you ever have it so, made over there? Yeah, we're we're looking into doing that soon. The problem is, if you're selling stuff in Europe, now you have to comply with all the European labeling things. You got to have all the languages on here. All the things have to change. Mm-hmm. You have to make totally separate cans just for them and inventory it somewhere separate. Mm-hmm. So wow. it's definitely a big undertaking, and like we have so much to just focus on here that yeah. it's kind of like. We in wanna, time, it'll come. Yeah, it's happen. just like we're really right. careful about. It's still pretty new, man. 2019. It's still pretty frick. It's just over two yeah, years. Yeah, I didn't realize. Yeah, he's done so much new. in two years. Yeah. Apparently, I mean, we've been talking and doing research, and you know, talking to other kind of beverage investment bankers and things that know the industry. And basically, as of now, we're one of the top one or two fastest growing beverage brands of all time. At, wow. At year man. two, most brands. Beverage is like notoriously a category that takes a long time to develop. Like Red Bull, most people don't know, it launched in 1988. Like, I don't even know that. It didn't even get on America's radar until like I think 99 or 2000, somewhere around there. Like they were already doing, I think, $400 million a year in Europe before they ever even started selling in the US. Yeah, they were massive. I realized that from touring and going to these really bizarre or very unique places, exotic places, and they had Red Bull in their language. You know, I was like, whoa. Oh, yeah, know, like in right. Crazy bottles, you know, yeah. great designs, and it's, you know, like in Thailand or in right. stuff like that. I was like, wow, they have Red Bull here? And I was impressed. That I never how, tried a Red Bull ever, man. Never tried any. I, I, tried I, it. I, I don't like it. My bass um, player would do it right before you went on stage. But we talked about this uh, before um, off the cast, and we're talking about why are those crazy tastes that are, I was like, why would it be so appealing, you know, to, I mean, not to get down on Red Bull, but just it was interesting, yeah. the psychology behind why does it taste like medicine? Mm. And, and yeah, they, they, they wanted it to taste like medicine because they wanted people to think this was going to have like a real effect on you. Because essentially all energy drinks really did was rebrand soda. Like <laughs> right. yeah. Mountain Dew and this stuff had tons of caffeine too for years, but it was really just like they basically found a way to rebrand soda and they want they wanted it to kind of become like a dare, like, oh, I'm gonna drink this thing and mm-hmm. something's gonna happen. And they just knew that if it tasted too good, you wouldn't believe that it's actually doing anything. So, wow. Yeah. Well, because those are those are carbonated too, monster. Yeah, they're carbonated. I never, I never yeah. had a monster. They're carbonated, yeah. carbonated. But Red Bull is too, right? What happened? The Red Bull's carbonated too. Yeah. It? Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow, man. Yeah. So what's what, what's what's the ultimate goal for Liquid Death as far as um, more things that's outside of the norm for a uh, water brand? I know we're doing live streams, merchandise, maybe get involved in some tours when that starts happening, right? Stuff like that. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. Um, yeah, I think it would be great. To, sorry, it'd be great to have go to a venue instead of plastic bottles. We get these for stage, crack mm-hmm. these open on stage, like. 
It'd be so cool. Yeah, and most venues, oh, like a lot of venues, like you know the big guys like Live Nation. Yeah, and I think even AEG and these mm, guys, like big. they're all looking to get rid of plastic from their venues. I hope so. Totally. Like, yeah, yeah everybody's kind of. I mean, I think Canada, Justin Trudeau passed a thing saying that they're going to be single use plastic free by like 2025. Oh, that's wow, great. That's really, really. Fast. Yeah, you you would think that they should take that uh, consideration in hand, especially the fact that they're running so many events you know not to mention you know big ass sports events and things like that where they're actually having more options to plant-based food and they're totally. also talking about having uh like you said uh biodegradable stuff there because it's a tremendous amount of trash after a football game basketball game yeah concert game, everything concert, yeah all that trash at the end of the show you know you're stomping through the you know, kicking at the, the end, kicking, kicking everything, yeah, everything man. at the end of a show, you're stepping over all this stuff. I'm like, oh my god, and it doesn't really have to be that way. I mean, if they had, you know, all these like things they would think about ahead of time, then they could avoid all this trash that's left over. And, and what most people don't realize, and it's like the it's the thing that we usually explain most is like plastic is not actually recyclable. Right. It's all bullshit. Yes. Basically, there were all these lobbyists in the late 70s when plastic bottles became more popular and they were already starting to get some like negative press around. I'm glad th th this shit is terrible. This a lot of people don't know this. Yeah. It's like this. This stuff is terrible. So the plastic industry had to figure something out. So they said, oh, no, like we're going to recycle it. But really, all that happened was plastic at that time you would put it in a recycling bin it goes to a recycling facility they would then ship it by the truckload to go on a big boat, boat yeah that wow. would go to china and these third world countries and drop it off because in theory yeah it. they were going to use because plastic it can't actually be recycled into new bottles if you do you grind it up it's too low quality to make new bottles with so what they do is they use it to make like cheap textiles like carpets okay and clothing like anything that's like a polyester that's plastic yeah you know so that's in theory what was happening in china but then china eventually was like we, we can't even use this shit use it because it's wow. all contaminated yeah it's contaminated and then i think they were even just like dumping truckloads of it in the ocean just because like we can't we're not taking wow. it yeah creating like an entire like island of just trash, trash yeah plastic but a lot of people don't realize that the plastic you're throwing away to be recycled is already contaminated especially when it's been in food and a lot of people aren't washing their plastics off yeah. so it's it's ruined well the other them. and the other thing yeah. it, it's like recycling facilities in order to be viable they have to make a profit and plastic is not profitable you send plastic to a recycling facility the recycling facility will not recycle it they have to send it to a landfill because if they tried to recycle it, they'd go out of business right. because they spend all this money processing it. Wow. And then once that you have the final ground up plastic, they in theory have to be able to sell that ground up plastic for more than it costs them to process it. Jesus. And nobody wants yeah. to buy the ground up plastic yeah, because it's cheaper to buy new plastic. Wow, man. So they're like, that. so like, so there's, um, th these environmental economists are actually saying that, it is better for the environment technically to throw your plastic in the trash because it takes less trucking to get it to the landfill, mm. which is the crazy. landfill is already a disaster in itself waiting right. to bite everybody in the ass. Oh yeah. Just, <laughs> so we don't have to go into. So cans are a huge difference for the environment. So the reason cans 
So metal is basically the only thing that actually gets recycled. Even glass doesn't really get recycled because it's not that it's not profitable to recycle glass mm. because glass, you break it down. It just basically becomes sand. Yeah. How much can you sell sand for? Yeah. You know, not a lot. So metal, <laughs> they can, they just melt it down and they make metal bricks of it and they sell the metal bricks to aluminum manufacturers who then use it to make sheets that make cans. So it's like the, this can is made from about like almost 80% recycled aluminum. In wow. This can. Holy shit. But in a plastic bottle, less than 3% actually comes from like recycled plastic. Wow. Mm -hmm. So it's like aluminum is profitable and sustainable from like an economics perspective, like recycle, they keep recycling facilities in business. And that's why they'll, they'll continue to recycle it because it's, you can keep recycling it over and over and over and over again. That's amazing. I was totally out of the recycling that. game at a young age when I was, you know, I, I used to go around collecting as a kid, like, I'm going to get some money. Oh, like, yeah. let's do it, man. <laughs> collecting, like, trash bags of just cans, you know, around the neighborhood and taking it there. And I was just so disappointed. They're like, here you go, buddy. It's just like a buck fifty. Exactly. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a lot back then, though. I was like, even then, I was like, damn. Yeah. I was like, gone. all that work <laughs> and sweat, all those cans, and that's it. It was like, five dollars or seven dollars or something i was just like okay all right i think moving forward from, <laughs> from a pandemic which i think like how mother nature kind of like put us in check and give us a time out mm. and like how the rivers and the lakes were becoming more colorful the fish were coming back mm. you know like all the animals were coming mm -hmm. out during the pandemic and earth was kind of healing itself i think moving forward it's a perfect time to go back to touring and playing music where we swap out the plastic for cans. Yeah. And it's I, the best time to come back from pandemic with that, you know? And yeah. I think it's great that there's companies that think about this, you know, sustainability. I think that's the future. I think it's something that's yeah. important that, you know, you have to think about, you know, people have to think about, it, and especially big companies or smaller companies that are coming up, you know, when they have that in mind, the consumer is becoming more aware. I, I want to believe that. Um, yeah. Because the information is out there, a lot of things. Uh, that we've been talking about. And I think it's important for the consumer to believe in a product, feeling that it's not out there destroying the planet or it's doing something for the right. planet, you know, because yeah. we're all connected, you know, and, and in the sense where, you know, if you're a consumer and you're a producer, you know, you there is a connection and there is a connection that we all have with the planet. So we, you, we want to yeah. buy things that aren't harming us. Right. You know. And, and I think the other thing it's important for creating real change is, most of the people trying to do change are like the eco warriors who are preaching to the choir. Right. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Yes. Like, yes. Absolutely. Like there's only a few people that you're going to get to carry around a reusable water bottle and never drink packaged beverages again. Yeah. But all the people across all the country who don't care as much or aren't as eco warrior as you, how do you get them to buy into something that is part of the solution? Point. Yeah. And I think like that's, that's been my thing with this was like, I want to make health and sustainability not feel preachy, you know, like yeah. even though yep. we're a health brand, we don't say alcohol is bad. Drugs mm -hmm. are bad. Like, cause the reality is like there's gray area everywhere. Right. You know? And it's like, Hey, if you're going to do drugs, fine, maybe have a water, you know, like stay <laughs> yeah. hydrated, you know. Hey, if you're going to go rip shots of tequila at the bar, mm -hmm. maybe chill with a water for an hour, mm -hmm. then have another, you know. So I mm -hmm. think it's like it's it, 
too much of culture is like all or nothing. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I think reality is everything's gray. And it's like, if more people could just drink a couple more waters a day, you're in a much better place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Then, then have you become more environmentally conscious since you started the brand? Like, did you, you yeah, yeah, yeah. I I mean, I, I think I've always been, I mean, I was way more hardcore as like a high school yeah, propaganda days, propaganda yeah. days, you know, <laughs> you know. came uh, full circle though. Yeah, no, it did. And I think the other big thing was like, you know, I think we talked about this like offline, but every cool thing you want to do requires money. That's just reality. Yeah. Whether you want to tour, whether you want to start a record label, whether you want to do anything cool, it costs money. And most of the time, the money people in the world are not creative people. Mm -hmm. And it's like the creative people have to go with their handout to the money people who ultimately will then control what the creative thing is and yeah. they end up killing it or doing whatever. So it was like this idea of like, if people like us can figure out how to create massively successful things and then we have the money, then we can fund cool creative things right. and start to actually change things out in the world rather than just this continuous thing of like, bankers are the ones who decide right. what gets yeah. the money. You know what I mean? Yeah. Excellent. I mean, shit. Wow. Uh, I, think we I think we cover a lot of stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think we covered your whole, anything else we should talk. I mean, I was going to bring up something we could cut it out, but it's just that story you told me about. Um, but you know, if I, we talk about, give it too much energy about, about the troll, but it's just not when we talk about it. That story about the troll. It's not worth it. We can talk okay, about now, it. I think now you got me. Interested. I, I feel like, like it's important because we're giving him credit, but it's such an insane story. Like You're giving a troll credit. It's about well, a troll. Well, I yeah. think it's. I think it's an. It's so important the time we live in right now. Like the power of the internet. Okay, let's talk about. I want to know now. I want to know. You brought so, it up. It's the most crazy story. Yeah. I told my wife. My wife couldn't believe it. It's fucking. You know, okay, so, so everything going on now. I mean, cancel culture. Like the right. internet can gang up, can do something. Mm -hmm. So in the early days of Liquid Death, when we first launched, like we had no product. We did. Thanks the, for telling the story, Mike. Yeah, we we did the. Uh, <laughs> We did the the video. We got all the followers. We're getting all this attention. And then some. there's this guy that came on our Facebook page and was like, liquid, how dare you name water liquid death? There's people that are dying in Flint, Michigan. So your brand is exploiting black people. Wow. Hello. Whoa. And we were like, wait a second. Like, no, no. Like, we're trying to make water fun and and we're making a joke. Like, this is all about sustainability and making something healthy, more fun to drink other places. And all these people, the internet, started defending liquid death to the troll. But oh. not but not in a nice way. Like they're like, You're full of shit. Like, you know, like all you know, people were you're just crazy on them. Yeah. They, went, yeah. they went crazy on them. So then he flipped out. And I was working for an agency at the time. This guy ended up looking me up, found out I worked at this agency. He found out who the agency's clients were in oh, Detroit, bro. emailed the clients and threatened that he was going to stage a protest outside because they worked with an agency that supported this brand that's trying to like exploit like terrible shit. So they all of a sudden call the head of this huge agency. What the fuck is this phone call or, or this email we just got about? And then they flipped out and they're like, Mike, you need to take this down. Like, and I'm like, 
this is insane. So one I, person, man. One oh, person. Oh, my God. This so guy then, has too much time on his hands. Totally. So then I look up this guy, and his name is... <laughs> and... <laughs> There's a whole website on him now uh, where he has like kind of scammed all these people nice. and threatened these things that he's never going to do. Like he's like, I'm involved with millionaires who can do this, this, and this, and it's all My bullshit. God. And he Damn. like basically extorted all these companies and people. And I think even I think like someone involved with Guns and Roses or something. Like even like these wow. music and bands. Like he was trying to basically extort into doing what he wanted them to do. It was then, just one person. One person. And they That's posted insane. how he had restraining orders on him against him from women. Like wow. this whole thing. And it was just like this, you know, I think it's 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 a signal of of something that's going on in culture now where people are so afraid of anyone on the internet saying anything you're, bad. You're absolutely right. And it's something that's really disturbing and it's been happening a lot more than than ever totally and it's uh it's it, it just definitely needs to be called out because it's happening i've heard similar stories but about people just sort of taking advantage of that and and, and just using in their way to get shit also mm-hmm. you know get yeah. over on people yeah and it, and, and it's like there's no there's no way to verify anything like mm-hmm. how do you know that this isn't just some guy in a basement that you know, can, can right. write an email to anybody he wants and totally. say anything he wants. It's There's scary. no way they're going to check it. They're just going to err on the side of we don't like everyone's just so afraid of like the backlash of the internet now or being mm-hmm. canceled or whatever that it's like everybody's walking on eggshells and oh, to the point man. where it's like people are like watering down everything they put out because they can't take any risks. And like, mm. it's just creating this thing just of tippy like tippy toe. Yeah. Tippy toe. And wow. Yeah. It's just, it's a, just, a so that didn't affect world. that one troll tried to sabotage everything. It didn't work. Obviously you looked him up. He's yeah, it didn't work. a bunch yeah. of people. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. And then, you know, we put out, you know, it was like late or earlier last year, we put out the liquid death greatest hates album, which was, you know, <laughs> a, a brand a band like or a brand like liquid death of course we're a polarizing thing there's certain people who think this is the dumbest thing ever like who well, you know why would you ever put a skull on water or you guys are satanic and you're ruining society you know it's like there's always going to be those people on the internet it's a drink of the devil yeah it's a drink, drink of the, of the devil Satan, <laughs> um so i wanted to make a point that like rat most companies are so terrified of even one negative comment mm-hmm. and they have a whole meeting about the negative comment. And I wanted to make a point that like, who cares what people like it's the internet. Like if you've got lots of people who think you're the greatest thing ever and understand the positivity right. of what you're doing, those three people don't speak for everybody. No, no they man. don't. And why no. should they? No. So we thought of like, okay, how do you deflate that? Let's celebrate that. So we made a whole metal album where all the lyrics to the album are verbatim hate comments from our social pages. It's almost like mean tweets like Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah, it was like mean right. tweets in metal album form. That's incredible. And it's like, it just, and everybody loved it. It's one of the most successful things we've done. And then we started doing ads on social where it's our product. And then we grab like a negative comment from someone next right. to it. Where wow. it's like, you know, 
save your sales pitch for Satan worshipers. Like, you know, <laughs> and like we put that next to it and then we put people love us on the internet yeah, yeah. <laughs> and people That's just amazing. love that. Like, right. I, I feel like it galvanizes people and the little hashtag that we use on the campaign is proudly not for everyone. Mm-hmm. And, mm. you know, I think we, we started getting DMS from people who I didn't even think about it, but the, you know, people were being like, we love that you're putting out the message of proudly not for everyone. Like how many people are afraid to even express themselves now because if they get one negative comment, they're like, oh, I got to take the post down. Right. Yeah. Someone doesn't like it. But people need to also think where these negative comments are coming from. Yeah. Like, who is the source behind of this negative it? Exactly, comment? Man. Yeah. Like, like, you find out, it's like, oh, it's his herb, you know, in the basement. <laughs> oh, his <laughs> yeah. parents' house. Yeah, and he, parents yeah house. it's like he's 40 That's years like, old, still lives at home. What does his opinion matter? It's yeah. Just, it's I'm, such I'm, hate from people that like have, have so much time no in their hands, man. And too much time on their hands. Even if they're not a hermit and there's someone that's like your friend, just because they don't like it, who gives a fuck? Right. Know. You know, it's yeah, like, it's like right. you're not supposed to like everything. Right. You're not you supposed know? to. Yeah, we're not supposed to. Did you say Herb or Hermit? Herb. Okay, that's, a New York, that's like New York slang for like a dork. <laughs> you said Hermit. Hermit's good too, though. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, you, yeah, the, uh, it's like such faceless keyboard cowards, they call them cowboys, whatever. I don't know. It's just, Coward, it's just yeah. like never before, like did people have like, especially kids now, I can't imagine yeah. what it's like growing oh up in God. high school now Man. with I the know. internet Power behind the keyboard. People used to get bullied at school. Now they get bullied on their phones like 24 seven while yes. they're home. You can't escape anything, man. That, you that's you watch scary. that that movie, uh, the, the social dilemma. Mm-hmm. It's like insane. Dude. Teen yeah. suicide way yeah. up ever since social media started. Like it's a crazy thing. And I think like more people need to, figure out how to like disarm the power of the internet somehow. Mm -hmm. Like how do you Mm -hmm. just start making people care less about the internet's opinions and things like that? I don't know what the answer is. It's such a positive too. And you're promoting good things and trying to promote a brand or your music or something you're working on. That's awesome. Yeah. And I try not to follow anybody that I don't follow anybody that's negative, but you know, it's just like surrounding yourself in real life with inspiring, uplifting people. Same thing on the internet. You know what I mean? Inspiring yourself in real life. Yeah. Yeah. And just like, because you can get down like a dark rabbit hole in there. Like, there'd be a thousand comments that are oh, all yeah. positive, and the one that's negative, and you're like, oh. yeah. Like, who cares? Like, it's like, yeah, yeah. It's you a private account, look. no picture in the profile. Right. It's so like, of course, it's going to be that coward, cowardly. The best one you actually respond to somebody, and they're like, oh my God, you responded. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm a fan. I just want to say hi. Like, really? That's how you say hi to somebody? Talk shit. <laughs> yeah. Because that once you give them the attention, they, they win. Yes. That's what they want, you know? Like, totally. And that's what we try to do. Like, when we hear negative comments, like, we give really funny responses to them on social mm-hmm. and we've had people that like, we've literally turned 180 where it's like, they're saying something about our brand and we give back some like logic or something funny. And then they're like, okay, you got me. Like, yeah. you know, yeah, like yeah. it's just like, but even then like brands are too afraid to even like right. be honest about things with people. And I think, yeah, it's just like the more people just realize that the internet is just people. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you don't know why someone leaves a bad comment. Like maybe they're having a shitty day and they're totally. just fucking lonely or like, totally. they're just like, I have so much anger. Like it's so easy for me to just push some keys and feel like I have a voice on something, mm. but they didn't really think it through. Absolutely. You know, yeah, but, like, also, but then you can turn when they're malicious, like what happened to you and they go after yeah. you where you work. That's a different story. That's a different that's story. Crazy. Yeah. That's just attacking somebody for no reason. Like you don't even know the person. It's got problems. Yeah. It's yeah. A, it's serious issues. Problems, yeah. yeah. Um, well, wow, well, shit, well, fuck, man, I appreciate you being here. This We talked about everything, right? We covered a lot. A lot of stuff. Any yeah, more questions, Derek? Or no, no I, I think I, 
That covers it for me, huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, a good story, obviously, though. you know, I love the brand. I, I love the water. And it was so honored to have H2O and Liquid Death do the stream yeah. as the first one. And then meeting you, becoming friends with you, and knowing your story and the grassroots DIY. That's why I love it so much. I don't really fuck with a lot of brands. I never tried Monster or Ritable. I'm a water guy, obviously. Right. And I, I just love the whole package of it. I love everything about it, man. I'm, I'm super stoked for you. Thanks, And the future yeah, of yeah. Liquid Death, you know? Yeah, yeah I mean, the whole... All I wanted to do with this brand is was like I wasn't trying to make a million dollar brand. I was just like I want to make something that would make my friends laugh. <laughs> think it's cool, yeah. you know, like yeah. And if you just I don't know, you focus on small things like that. When it comes to, like if you want to make your own thing, like don't try to make I'm going to make the next big thing. No, just like yeah. make something that you think your friend would like. And most likely there's going to be a million other people who mm-hmm. like it. Yeah. It's something you believe in. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Are you surprised how far it came in such a short period of time? Oh yeah. I didn't I never thought. <laughs> yeah. Just making that video, man. It's crazy. Just, and that's kicked it off. That video, what, what, yeah. what is, so there's a, uh, I guess it's a mascot for liquid death. Oh yeah. The, the, well, What's it, does he have a name? We call him the thirst murderer or the thirst executioner. I know where Derek's yeah. going with this. Thirstecutioner? Yeah, that's good. <laughs> We're going to put go on record. If that ever becomes a cartoon, Derek wants first dibs at his voice. But you made a good point <laughs> by saying that he has no mouth. Oh, no right. voice. And, yeah. and, I, and I think that's kind of... Well, he does have a... I don't even think I don't even think he makes a noise, actually. I, in, okay. Well, when this... When this yeah, be, yeah. I mean, Liquid Death becomes like a Saturday morning cartoon in the future, which is going to happen... You're gonna be the voice of that guy. I would love to be. You'll be a character for a sure. Character Eric, a character would be great, for sure. or a sidekick. If Liquid Death does have some type of sidekick character, I, I'm just calling him LD. Or <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I, the main character is just. I think you would be yeah. scary dressed up in that outfit. I think it'd be terrifying, um, not only to other people to myself, but uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love this a mascot. I love that this merch. I love right. every, it's just so. Like what you said, it's like a band. Yeah, and and there was so somewhere I was going with the mascot, not only wanting to be the voice, but uh, Liquid Death Band. Ah, uh, I can't remember, but I love the character. He's just so ultra violent in a way, but just about drinking water. Yeah, because it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like when you're murdering thirst, an imaginary <laughs> thing, you can kind of get away with a lot. It's a tough job with all these dehydrated. Yeah dehydrated people out there Mur- murdering your thirst is so clever man that's like yeah that's incredible man like <laughs> and then, and then, perfect yeah and then death the plastic was kind of like death so the plastic good, like we had to figure out how do you cover both angles because right. the sustainability is a good part of absolutely it, so yeah. and you can get it 7-eleven too right yeah 7-eleven nationally sick, any that's of them so yeah. sick. that's that's a big one big moves yeah. big moves and then if you live in texas you can get it in walmart anywhere in texas hey y'all okay um yeah so texas whole i mean uh, whole foods whole foods 7-eleven yeah target target will be coming up later later this year it'll All be a right. little while though before it before hey. they do it. Okay. And there's no more kmart that's gone is it? <laughs> Kmart's gone, man. Oh yeah, they they are gone. They huh? canceled it. No, it turned it. It turned into a Britney Spears store over here. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. But but then the pandemic came and never got to open. Yeah, that didn't uh, even happen. So um, so okay. yeah, please go liquiddeath.com, liquiddeath Instagram. That's where they can find everybody, right? Yeah. Excellent. Well, awesome, Mike. Oh, thank, thank you so you much for being. I appreciate being on the podcast. Uh, this is the first time having like a uh, any any type of brand on the podcast, mm-hmm. and it's a water brand, and it's perfect. So. All right, thank you for being here. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Later. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening. Um, Please rate, review, uh, subscribe. If you haven't subscribed yet to this podcast, please do that. 
And whatever platform you are listening to this on, I'm glad you found me. You can rate me and review me on there also. So thank you guys sincerely for the support. I cannot wait for you guys to hear the next one.